Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to an all new X's First Show, your premier live streaming YouTube comic podcast video series. It's got a whole lot of stuff going for it. I'm Nico and you guys can find me at Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK, you can find me on the socials at XNateXGrayX. Hey everybody, it's Nathan, you can find me at uh, mainly Twitter on Desler AOA. Um, Coming up soon, I'll have something coming up called Trek Static, so I'm excited to like get that started with uh, Steve, so we're going to get that up and running soon. Um, so I probably won't be on as much, at least for the time being. I'm not gone, but I'm still going to be around, but, you know, not going to be maybe as much. Well, we are so glad you're with us today for what is a Bananagrams exciting look at an incredible run of titles. This is a who's who of amazing forces around the Marvel Universe, and I am so excited that X is for Show, which you can check out at xisforshow.com. Please don't forget to like and subscribe over here on YouTube, and to check us out on Twitter at X is for Show. But we are here to talk about some of the best titles coming out of Marvel. We've got the kickoff books for Blade's Daughter, Bloodline. We've got Scarlet Witch 1 and 2. We've got the essentially finale of Shang-Chi, but that it's not the finale because we're getting some backup stories. Real excited about that. We've got some Ghost Rider. We've got some Daredevil with an amazing guest who I'm so excited about. This guy's, uh, this guy's Excel spreadsheets make me feel away. Wow. So, I, uh, yeah. Oh no, that newbie. He's a. I'm. I'm really looking forward to this. So I can't wait to have Tim Burnham on. Yes, that's right. That Daredevil spreadsheet, Tim Burnham. I'm not kidding, guys. Anybody who's been following the show knows my relationship with spreadsheets. So. Anybody who knows you knows yeah. your relationship with spreadsheets. It's like, hey, here's a read order. Bam! Like five seconds later, spreadsheet. Okay. Thanks. And I like color code them. And anyway, I'm so excited. I want to start off with guys. We're talking about some really strong women. And I know that we wouldn't have this show without strong women. And there, you know, we just had the Ant-Man and Wasp movie this past weekend with several strong women in it, three generations of them to be exact. And I just wanted to put out there that I love that we have two books back to back about female characters. Now, while I wish they were both written by non-binary or non-male writers, it is really nice to see that it's a queer writer and a non-binary writer, and I'm really excited for that change. And hey, Scarlet Witch, we do have a uh, female-written story in the mix there, so... True. And a female penciler. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) So... I couldn't be more excited. And we're going to be taking a look at those books. And I can't think of a better time than to bring in the amazing voices of the X-Pack. And we have uh, a star-studded evening as we're going to take a look at some of these titles. I would love it if you amazing voices would introduce yourselves. And then we'll get started on looking at this incredible series. Let's go with Robbie first. Hey, everyone. I am Robbie. And you can find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter. 
Hi, I'm Raven, and you can find me at Sanguine Threads or in a bathory over on TikTok. Hey, I'm Jake. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Omega Sentinel. That's O H Mega Sentinel. Take it away, TK. Well, to start off, we're going to talk about Bloodline, Daughter of Blade. Uh, written by Danny Lore with art by Karen S. Darbo, color artist Chris Peter, VCs Joe Sabino on letters. And man, this is one that came up in the solicits early, and I just got excited. I'd been reading Jason Aaron's Avengers, which has been doing some incredible blade work, some incredible vampire work. And I thought if we're investing in the next generation, that might mean that we're getting serious about this character. And of course, he's got an MCU appearance coming up, so it's a good time to be in the Blade family. And, you know, that first question we always start with, what is y'all's relationship to Blade and the vampire universe? Wesley Snipes? Yeah, that's a good start. That was a good start. Blade Trinity, like... (laughs) I mean, I watched the original. The second was... eh. The third one, oh my god, him plus Reynolds, Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, yeah, yeah. And, Sorry, and, that's her relationship for the most part. <laughs> well, and let's not forget Jessica Beale and all of her contributions to cinema, like Seventh Heaven. <laughs> and Limetown. <laughs> is there really, I know about Limetown, Jacob. I was going to say, is there another thing? I, I didn't even know. Uh, they were like LimeWire. I'm like, no, what? It's, it's obscure. It's, it's obscure, but it's it's really good. It's it's really it's, good. it's and she's for, shockingly like, good. Hey, at it. But setting Beale. that aside, back to Blade. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Jacob, oh, vampires. Tell me. Oh uh, well, totally. The Blade movie uh, movie trilogy is my big introduction, and then I guess a little bit like '90s Midnight Suns, like seeing that stuff on the spinner racks. Um, because like I never really got into Marvel horror, so I never really like trodden to Blade's territory. And what about you, Robbie? Uh, I would definitely say clearly the movies, and then probably the occasional random appearances that he would make over the years. Like he was in that one vampire arc with when Jubilee got turned. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. that I remember. But uh, really, here and there with appearances. Yeah, my I got... two co-hosts. That's it, yeah. <laughs> We've all been doing it for so long. You guys have been in so the trenches excited. with me for uh, for a lot of this Aaron run and a lot of yeah. vampire stuff. And, you know, I want to know where were your hearts at when this Daughter of Blade came up? I got to say, yeah, Blade is never something I really got into as much on a consistent basis until the Jason Aaron era. Because I think that's probably, for me, the, the most single amount of issues I've read for the character uh, in a most coherent direction um like robbie said i definitely have read appearances here and there popping up music books popping up and wherever whenever those vampires you're like oh oh keep playing <laughs> um but so I was, I was super excited for this uh when i saw that danny lore they were writing it i was like oh my gosh this is gonna be great and then when i get through and i read it i was like wow, i already had high expectations but this is better than what i thought it was gonna be I I just love Blade. I think he's one of those elements of like kind of like silly Marvel 70s where the people <laughs> writing it maybe wanted it to be good, but <laughs> were sometimes maybe a little bit closer to like Quentin Tarantino being like, no, this is racially sensitive. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I worried sometimes that like liking Blade in the 70s is supporting black exploitation, but in the last. No. 
20, 30 years, the number of incredible voices of color who have risen to marble and said, hey, no, this is what we're doing now. And, you know, we've seen this progressive transformation. It's so exciting to love this character and not be like, am I allowed to? You know, it's, this is exciting. And uh, I love that he's got a daughter because if nothing else, Blade inspired Buffy in so many ways that it's time that Blade, you know, get to reap the benefits of a world that allows female heroes in the legacy. Yep. And, you know, on that note, I think that that was something that Jake and I talked about when we were just kind of talking about our impressions of the book was mm -hmm. the tonality <clears throat> that is very similar to Buffy. And I want to kind of just use that as a through line to get into first impressions. And I imagine we all really picked up on that, that Buffy vibe to the whole thing. But what else was there for you guys? This is a character I demand see the pages of Strange Academy sooner than later. Magic isn't just being a sorcerer. Magic is being magical. And this book has magic. Yeah, I wish she had shown, like, if Midnight Suns continues as something besides the miniseries that it is now, I'd love to see your edition, if not in a, a Strange Academy book. Why not both? Why not both? Uh, I think she needs to be probably in, like, Strange Academy first, and we okay. need to get a little maturation. Um, it's, a, it's a tiny gripe that I have. But they played directly into the trope of the absentee father who doesn't show up mm -hmm. until his daughter comes of yeah. her power. And I'm like, no, <laughs> this could have been, yeah, your, your, your dad's out killing vampires again. And it's like, oh, I know, I know. But like having him, you know, actually come in, he could still be gruff. He could still be, you know, Blade. But like have him actually kind of be present so that we're not just like, we're going to keep this from you. We don't know anything about... Okay, yeah, your dad's a vampire. Well, he's more like a vampire killer. And, oh, yeah, there's this whole thing I've known about the whole time. I'm like, just start with the knowledge ahead of time because I'd rather you be able to just lean directly into it and not have to pull any punches or explain anything to this daughter because pretty much everybody who's reading already knows all those things. And so we're going to be, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, oh no, you got to explain that to her? Oh, well... Don't die. No. That yeah, dinner table yeah. scene. That was like when they were like, oh, you know, oh, you know, I know. I, was it that scene from Friends? Was Phoebe about to come in and do a sexy dance for me? Well, and I, I appreciate it too that that's, it's a, it's a departure from that sort of like normal teenage vampire slayer uh, mm -hmm. parent, like parent child yep. relationship. Like she has, she gets to have an open communication relationship with her mom. Mm -hmm. You know, she gets to say like, hey, I'm going out hunting vampires. And mom's like, hey, cool, take an extra steak. Um, right. you know, it's not, it's not like, you can't do that. I don't know what you're doing. I hate what you're doing. Your identity scares me. It's like, I'm embracing your identity. I see who you are and I support you. And that's so refreshing. It shouldn't be refreshing, that but is. it's so refreshing. <laughs> no, that is, that is, that is. Cause yeah. they're all like secret, secret, secret and like, or like power pack where if they find out the parents will die. <sighs> Literally that was a plot point. The parents would die. And then one of them became a horse, so that's what happens when you keep right. secrets from your parents. <laughs> Loki? <laughs> and so okay. we do kind of, we're kind of uh, pulling the balance on that. We have one really good parental relationship, and Raven, I agree with you. I think yeah. that it's unfortunate. I think what this really might have benefited from was... Uh, 
the child is a secret to the Marvel universe. Like Blade mm-hmm. holds his shit down yeah. and makes his stuff down and makes sure that you know he had this child and he's going to make sure that she is protected you mm-hmm. all didn't know about it but now it's time for you to know and exactly. i think that's you know that's done so yeah. infrequently we do retcons that are so much more like secret revealed <laughs> um that like to have it be like oh no i'm i've been fully aware and like this person knows who i am i just hid it from all of you mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. might have been a really interesting way to go that could have kept us from falling into that trope and also could have stopped us from what is going to be some kind of like well-trod territory of they don't know each other and they're, you know, Blade's a bad dad. She doesn't trust mm-hmm. him, but now they've got to come together because they got to fight the vampires. Yeah. I can see that yeah. that might be the one part and it's nobody's fault, but it's just yeah. The, yeah. immediately as we go in this direction, it's kind of the guarantee is we're about to do some... Yeah tropey uh absentee dad plot stuff that i'm just like uh can't wait to get past it well it's it's super unfortunate too how the the she's a really cool character by herself you know she's got these powers at night they're kind of random she's you know figuring it all out but she's so tied to blade like it's even in the title the title daughter of blade you know it's it's unfortunate to me that he's going to be such a looming presence because that's just like how they want to introduce the character. Um, it would be really cool to like have her have her own story arc, and then he comes in right at the end to be like, "Oh yeah, hey, this is this is this You're is your legacy. Great. Thanks for thanks for yeah. thanks for jumping in." Um, yeah, I mean, unbind I, I, her from that guy, you know, like let her stand alone. I get it. Like the only the character I can think of that like maybe is going to echo the same sort of trajectory hopefully like hopefully she echoes it is uh uh elsa bloodstone where elsa bloodstone although elsa was daughter of a much more minor character than blade obviously but still had all that baggage drawn in from it and i just never had a romantic relationship with baseball bats i don't know if it's being a homosexual (laughs) but like there's something about the number of people in this comic that are like Baseball bats. That makes me think of dad. And I, I understand <laughs> that it's in like a, a way that, you know, maybe a lot of people grew up with their parents being Louisville <laughs> slugger type. Wow. But like, my dad was a little bit like, are you into baseball or math? And I was like, math. And he's like, here's a TI-84. Let's not worry about the baseball stuff, right? And so the only thing that I think really the only feminizing factor of this book, because I even think the baseball bat is so, you know, vampires in general, very masculine ideas. Um, But like the colors of this book were satisfyingly, adventurously, aggressively female. Yeah. Like, and they were like, I'm going to kick you in the face kind of female. It was very, I'm a softball girl and you're in my way kind of female. (laughs) And I loved it. There was nothing unstrong about it but it did not feel the need to code this incredible young woman in needless levels of masculinity to prove her chops see i didn't see it that way as as much i saw it a little bit different i saw it was in a way that like david lynch's towns will like show this idyllic version of uh america in the u.s like i thought it was trying to show like hey cool you know like this is a typical suburban family she plays softball she's out there you know basically Baseball, softball, bats are very iconic Americana imagery and really strong, like, hey, this is suburban stuff kind of stuff, kind of feel to it. 
So I thought that kind of was what it was setting up before mm. it subverted that. It's funny you guys are bringing up baseball bats because she goes to hunt the first vampire with a lacrosse stick. <laughs> which I noticed right hey. off the bat. Hold on, wait, hold on. Not everybody can afford Bruce Wayne level tech. Sometimes you just have to go to the you know the the local secondhand you know sporting goods store. Get what you can get. Just get what you get. Get a vampires. Guys, it's not like she's using a volleyball as a mirror ball and wondering why no one's dancing. A lacrosse stick is a baseball bat. I don't think is that bad. So, but hold on. My point is twofold. One wrong sport. But setting that aside, <laughs> there is um, still uh, that suburban glam appeal. <laughs> so there, th that is the thing. It's the suburban glam appeal. There's a really subtle line in this book where after the conference, uh, Brielle points out that her guidance counselor is only concerned about her, her friend Jaden, and one other person who I think basically what we can assume is that they are all black and that... Mm -hmm. uh, Brielle's mother has moved her to a safe, affluent white neighborhood where they are experiencing a lot of microaggression. Yeah. And I loved the way that, you know, this is a book about a girl hunting vampires that really manages to give some humanity in a way that nobody can clock and be like, oh, that's really ham-fisted or that's really over the top. It is so subtle, but it is so real the way that you experience those types of microaggressions in communities that are kind of really well known for them. But then also, you probably have a lacrosse stick and you can use that to kill the vampire. Just for me, it was genius all around. Yeah, I, I think the, the the coding that they used in the counselor's office was freaking brilliant mm -hmm. because they're like, wait, it are her grades going down? <laughs> no. Right. Are is she causing other problems? No. Ooh. So you're just saying that she's loud and and this is why you called me in directly after work. Right. Like I love how her mom was like, listen, I have stuff that I could be doing right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It's I like he's only calling the grand like the person with the grandmother and the uncle. I'm like, oh yeah, they they're all people of color, probably black. This is definitely a nearly all white school. Yep, yep, yep. Coding was great. Yeah. And like they, oh, by all means. I was just gonna say they put uh Daniel Lord, they put so much nuance and subtlety into their work in this issue. There's so many societal undertones in here that it just just gets it like I didn't expect this from a book like this, but I am glad we're getting it. Because the book is horror. And whether yeah. we're talking about like horror of design of the world or horror of monsters, this is about two different constructions because we have the construction of 616, the construction of the Marvel universe in which Blade is a monster. But then we also have the construction of a design of a school system that doesn't work to be inclusive, that doesn't work to make uh, room for people whose system isn't the way the school expects. Mm -hmm. As somebody who's worked in education for the last decade, I understand why we want students to be part of groups, but not every student is from a financial background 
or from a background that allows for it. Like I have students that are like, yeah, I can't be on sports because I need to keep my 4.0 and I'm in three honors classes. So I can actually have up to a 4.4 and I need that 4.4 cause that's going to get me into more schools than being the worst person on my soccer team is. And by confronting the different dimensions of horror, both, you know, sort of this realism of horror and the horror you expect and bringing them into one place, there's a seamlessness that I think is really supported by this sort of chilling adventures of Sabrina art. Mm -hmm. There's something no. very accessible about the humanity here. And that's why I'm coming to this table. Well, and this was, this is such a great, great, great way of framing it, Nico. Cause, and that, cause I also, I see that as the, the deepening pickup that, that, uh, this is inheriting from Buffy because the idea for that was, of course, you've got Buffy fighting the vampires and experiencing the horror, but then she also has to go to high school, which is itself on its own, a horror experience. But then, you know, you've got Daniel really bringing in this social overlay, this contemporary take that wasn't present in Buffy because it wasn't really something that was being explored in the media at the time. Um, so we've got this 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 deepening of that metaphor, this taking it you know to the next level um, in this 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 really you know this, this complicating kind of way, and it's really it's really satisfying, and it feels a lot a lot realer and more lived in um, than you know some of the stuff that it's drawing from. And, you know, one of the things that Joss Whedon would talk about with Buffy was that how Buffy was the blonde girl that always dies in the movie because she's too stupid and the monster just gets her. And, you know, in this case, we're going to flip that trope on its head. And now she's the strongest and the smartest and she will survive and she will kill the monster and she will save everybody. And I think what I'm getting hints of here, because there are horror tropes associated with black people as well. And I think Danny Lore is mining into those mm -hmm. and doing some of the same work to say hey i can flip that trope on its head and do things with this character that you know i think what what happened with blade is the tropes were black exploitation tropes absolutely and then we moved those as nico was talking about and then we moved those into a place where blade just became kind of a character unto himself that a lot of different writers chose to take and you know to use him to explore a lot of different things and that continues to this day him as a kind of sheriff and authority figure in chernobyl vampire country i think <laughs> is i wish we were getting more of it i don't think we will get uh nearly as much as as we ought to but i'm hoping we do get a little more but it's a it's a really interesting dynamic that we've seen overall and i think here we are about to see the young black person in the horror movie trope get get spun a little bit well, I love the fact that they, they already broke one trope. She dropped out of softball. And that's yeah. that's what the the principal or the dean was concerned about is they had dropped out of sports. Right. Oh my, the black <laughs> person dropped out of doing sports so they could focus on academics. Yeah. Which is not something you get to see very often in representation. So it's like nice and of course you know mm -hmm. she's going to go on to do very physical things you know fighting vampires and whatnot but the fact that she went yeah no my academic career is going to be more important long term and you know i'm just i'm kind of done i'm tired of playing you know i'm just tired of, of playing baseball so that's why i quit so yeah yeah i'm sorry i believe it's lacrosse ball <laughs> whatever whatever the sports ball that she's playing she's not playing it anymore she doesn't have to <laughs> i quit this sports ball 
This ball sport. Sports go sports. <sighs> well, so as we come to start wrapping up, uh, the big question I have for everybody as I ask you your final thoughts is, uh, is this a keeper for you? Is this It's a five-issue miniseries. Are you in for every issue? I, I know I am. Well, I'm going to raise you. I'm not just in for this final thought, but <laughs> this replaces something in my heart of hearts it actually, I long thought that the height of what a cool, fun, animated show about, like, a young girl and vampires would be the long-proposed Buffy the Vampire Slayer animated series. Yep. And I thought this would be the height of things. But you know what? No. I kind of want this now. Yeah. And I don't even know that I want it to play into this comic. Like, I would love this comic to inspire a show. Uh I'm in for this whole thing. I love the art. I love this lead character, and that's what I really need. It was a little too fast. She meets somebody, and now they're the bad guy. But uh, no, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. All five, all ten. Put her in all the books. Uh, I would say this issue did everything that I need a first issue of a series to do. Introduced a strong, complex character. It introduced a strong reasoning for the book. It introduced... uh, not only the antagonist, but also like the co-protagonist with trying to reconcile the relationship between her and Blade potentially. So like, I, I'm here for this. Uh, I love the character. I love that she is not just tropes. There are some tropes in the story, but I love that the character transcends a lot of the tropes. And I think Danny Lore, they used the tropes that they did to show the character transcending the trappings of those tropes. So I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Sign me up. Add her to all the teams. Give it to her. I think she would make a great champion. I want to see a new champions book with some new champions. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just saying, I think, I think she'd be a fantastic. And then the champions would have more, you know, they'd be hunting vampires too, which I think would be great. Uh, you know, and partially I think this because we're going to hang out with Viv Vision in a second. But before we do that, Jacob, what do you think? Are you in? Uh- Oh yeah, I'm uh, make her a young Avenger. I mean, oh yeah, that's what I say because oh, like, yeah. we haven't seen them in a while, yeah. and that's such a cool that's such a cool team, and she's really cool, and I want to see her hanging out with honestly the coolest young people. That's the always been the young Avengers to me, minus and a few mutants. Zendaya drawn by Jamie McKelvey. Ah, yes, she would. Oh, yes, she would. Yeah, so definitely, definitely here to see this character continue. I don't know here here for this mini series. Maybe we'll get a Wolverine appearance if we're lucky. Um, <laughs> that just that that seems very like. Right, uh, that's how you bless and christen your mini series is throw Logan in. Especially <laughs> there's a vampire involved. Ugh. How has there never been a Wolverine with wooden claws that just goes around staking <laughs> vampires? <laughs> wooden plating for his metal claws. That'd be a reversal. All right, yeah. So I'm here for it. Please, right. more of this. More of her Young Avenger. More Young Avengers. Let's see it. Yeah. Raven, what do you think? I think I'm gonna stick around. At least for the next couple of 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 uh, issues, because I really want to see where it goes. I think it's got it's got really good potential, so I'm definitely in for the next two. I'm probably gonna stick around for the whole thing, but yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I'd love to see her in Young Avengers. I think there's even better potential with this character to play in a a team, and I think that would that would give me what I really really want to see is is I'm not just a standalone dark brooding character mm-hmm. looking out into the night. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I want to see like a fully functional character who can actually be in a, uh, a dark 
messed up, mentally messed up, maybe even physically messed up team that just works really well. Cough, cough, magic and the Dark Riders. Yeah. Ooh. Good call. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some great other oh. magic teams around, like right now, um, like Werewolf Werewolf by Night, who would mm-hmm. be a fantastic team up for Brielle. So Jackie Chopra. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's room. Robbie, I want to know what you think, and then uh, don't forget to give us your sign off. All right. And then, uh, so pretty much, uh, I thought this is a really good first impression for the character. And it makes me really wish that we definitely, that we could have had a character like her years back. Because it it really had me wondering how different a dynamic could have been if she would have been around for like the original lineup of the Young Avengers. I think she Mm could have fit in pretty well. But then at the same time, it also brings up the question on if different writers like 15, 20 years ago would have did a disservice or like a service mm-hmm. to her. Mm-hmm. Fair. And but overall, I'm pretty excited. I really hope that we get to see her uh, and a lot more stuff coming up. And uh, you can find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait for you to come back, Robbie. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. And uh, from one book about one magical lady to another book about another magical lady. Uh, actually, I think it's two books because it's it's two issues. Two books. Yeah. But you know, this is Nathan. You know, it's just you're you are alpha flight eating like no one's business right like before like if you were just feasting on alpha flight appearances you would have starved to death and lately like you know like you're not gonna feast but like you are gonna like have a snack here or there you'll remember they <laughs> no. were they were around at least you'll be you'll, you'll like, get a regular reminder yeah they people were people like ones. people can be like they were a team that existed yep. <laughs> and like but yeah no it's it, it's great to see um, especially the character we'll talk about in Scarlet Witch 1 and 2, uh, Dream Queen kind of like get a few appearances here and there. Like, I'm like, yes. So, uh, we are gathered around to talk about the amazing uh, Scarlet Witch 1 and 2. Steve Orlando is our writer on this journey, Sarah Pacelli is our penciler and inkler. Inker. Inker. Inkler. <laughs> inkler. <laughs> and our penciler and inker uh, with Elizabeth uh, DiMacchio. Colors is Matthew Wilson, and letter is Corey Pete. Corey Pettit. Wow, I can't talk today. Anyway, sorry if I butchered your name. Um, Credits so, are hard. Sometimes they are. It's like, oh my god. Um, so this has uh, been a interesting start to the series so far. So one thing we've got to look at in when we're talking about this book is we do get the first comics appearance of a character that we've sort of come to know and love in the MCU universe, uh, Darcy. So, you know, I I think it's great to bring uh, such a fan favorite character into the comics. I am going to be interested to see what brought her through the door in the first place. Also, like, what, what her real deal is uh, as we get to know her and we'll have to separate our MCU Darcy from the comics Darcy. So, mm-hmm. like... First off, I gotta say, where are you with her introduction as a character into the comics? Are you feeling it so far? Are you like me where I'm like, hmm, I gotta see more and I gotta know more? Or, you know, you're like, ah, here. Let's ask Wanda. 
Um, Wanda. Wanda, <laughs> do you like that your book is now just a vehicle for MC unification? <laughs> Wanda, Wanda, my queen. Yes, MC unification. My queen, Wanda, who... You know, you have been treated like an afterthought plot device for the last <laughs> so yet for so long. And entire like, career, entire career. You yeah. had to bang. I mean, yeah. you, you banged Doom, which is complicated enough because probably great, <laughs> but like horrifying. I think you had to bang Hawkeye, and like again, men wrote this, and uh. like. If a woman was like, yeah, you know, she would bang this person, I'd be like, yes, okay, I agree with you. That's what you've said, oh, fine. But like, the number of men she's been with, the number of plot devices she served as, I am so tired for my queen. And yeah, as Robbie just said, poor Wanda, I've been going through it most of my lifetime, most of her lifetimes too. And mm -hmm. this book oh. doesn't deal with whether or not she's a mutant. It doesn't deal with the fact that she is of a peoples that Marvel has always treated like a spellcaster, not like a culture. Yeah. I, yep. so anyway, but it, but at yeah, least I mean, she looks like she is part of that culture. She does. Versus some of the times where I've just been like, Who's this pumpkin spice latte drinking craft macaroni witch that they just threw at us? Like, what the fuck? But to your question, Darcy. how do I feel about Darcy? Darcy's yeah. fine. <laughs> okay, like yeah. Darcy about to be. Back to the Darcy of it all. Before uh, we get on the, the wonderful complex TED Talk we'll have to have about uh, the history of Scarlet Witch. I don't oh, know that we have right. time for all of that. But, yeah, Darcy. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's it's a real testament to Kat Dennings, Dennings, mm -hmm. Dennings, yeah. Dennings portrayal Dennings. from M's Dennings uh, portrayal from the the Thor and uh, and 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 help me out here WandaVision, WandaVision. WandaVision. show. Um, so there's there's at least like a th there's like there's a threaded the threaded tie. I mean, she's great too. I really enjoy her on the uh, the Sandman uh, Audible podcast as Death. Uh, this is not a plug, um, but yeah, it's it's it is interesting seeing that exact character imported yeah. directly in as if off of the screen. Um, I did at first think that she was um, the other young uh, white Selma? brunette hipster. Yes, yes, that is involved in magic stuff because that oh, would have made okay. sense too. Until yeah. they I said it was say Darcy. the other broke girl. I <laughs> If this is Darcy, then that one would be and prejudice, right? <laughs> because if she's Darcy, then the other one is and says pride and prejudice, right? That's <laughs> so yeah. Uh it's it's an interesting it's 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 fun. Who can really complain too hard about Darcy? Darcy well, I alone. I, I think Wanda needed somebody who could ground her, but also somebody who could like have some wit about it and like yeah. I knew that I was going to need that for this book because like, and this is like not the fault of, of, of Wanda's character. It's usually the the way she's been written. She tends to be a mm -hmm. little dramatic, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a yeah. little, Very a little perfect. bit needing to <laughs> find her way through a book. Luckily they didn't quite do it like over the top quite like that this way, but like putting cat in there to like, or not cat. <laughs> Darcy. We're all gonna Darcy it. in okay. there to like to, to give her that seriously <laughs> every now and again. It's yeah. so perfect because it, it breaks 
that <laughs> you know you know yeah like it yeah. Oh, I, I like her in there it helps ground the book and i'm i'm here for it i'm so here for it i so. i think i was kind of against it at first because of the mc unification yeah. because i just but like that's something that i often will it leaves a bad taste in my mouth and then i think to myself like but they gotta sell like you know <laughs> this is a business um and people watched WandaVision and were like, hey, who is that girl? Now I want to read that comic. Oh, I also recognize that person. It's all coming together. I, not so scary to me. I'll read it. I get it. I get why it happens. It's interesting. Somebody, I believe it was you, Jake, said they like brought the character in uh like like off this right off the screen mm-hmm. uh but they didn't because uh she's like a, a professor she's like an academic in the show um and so they brought in the much younger version yeah. from thor one who then maybe is not going to go the academic route which that is when i actually started to get really interested because i think she's now about to have this really alternate journey and I thought it was a little bit weird when I was watching WandaVision and I was like, she's an art student who took this for, who like was with Jane for like a credit. And now she's like an astrophysicist. I guess people's lives change. People but change. like, mm-hmm. I'm sort of excited here to see her back in the slacker role, like working at a shop and interacting with magic in this way that is like, you know, we see with certain characters where it's like yeah i'm probably not qualified to be working in the hero magic space i just kept showing up to work and it kept happening so now i know a lot um and i think that concept mixed with exactly what raven said kind of uh toning down wanda and author's worst impulses for wanda to be so over the top uh, in a way that, like, sometimes we're like, oh, she's serving, but sometimes it's just like, <laughs> this has turned into bad writing that is sloppy. <laughs> and it's funny if somebody can come in and be like, you're dumb. <laughs> it's a really complicated yep. boundary line because, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's that, like, there's, there's campy, like, I'm trying to, like, find the right way to put it. I guess, okay, okay. There's, like, Gargamel, <laughs> right? <laughs> And then there's like, you know, he's telling uh, me he's the camp version that you're gonna say, like he's camp, or is he too serious for you? I don't. Oh no, he's camp. He's camp. Okay, don't worry. (laughs) There's like Gargamel, and then there's like Kevin Spacey in Seven, and like it's a really fine line between the two of them because I can really imagine Gargamel being like, "Look in the box," you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, and Papa Smurf being like. What's in the box? And, you know. What's in the smurfing box? <laughs> well, it would only be one apple tall. So, um, but like, I do sometimes worry about like the nature of big magic in the Marvel universe because it is such a quick leap from, you know, dark shadows to dark shadows and so i really thought that like the the first one with corruptor i was like uh-uh, this is not what i want i am i'm cashing out and then there was second so one much with, potential but mm. yeah. right but then second one with dream queen i was like cashing yeah. back in yeah like okay. back in so like that that or the the villains that she has encountered so far like i do feel like yeah, the first one, the collector. I was like, you are way, you're trying way too hard to be camp. You are just like, 
like the outfit, the oh movements, the everything. It was just like, oh, okay, let's let's tone it down just a little bit. It's it's not it's not like like you said, Nico, when you, you can't go too far <laughs> or it's just this or is not spinal tap. No, 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 you can't go to 11 on camp. So like, but then, you know, when you pull back the dream queen into it, like I, and it might just be by nature. I think dream queen is a little, can be a little bit more serious than uh, the collector character. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, she's still fierce, fabulous. Like she is everything you need to be a camp icon. And this is, this is actually working with it on me. Um, but another thing that, which beyond the villains, the relationships that uh, Steve Orlando has chosen to portray so far with characters Wanda has, like uh, Pietro, who oh my god, why the the he's so hot? Why when is he ever this hot before? Like, mm-hmm. well, and that to that point, I Tim Burnham's question. I love yeah. Pacelli on art, but how do we feel about Russell Darnerman returning later on? I'm not giving this Quicksilver up. No, never. Mm-mm. Better never. keep him. <laughs> uh, Better keep him. And I, my only concern with Dodderman, who I just love and have so much respect for, and he is such a great artist. But you know, we are talking about how in this book, Wanda finally looks like her heritage. Yeah. On this cover, she does not. Yeah. Um, and it's not horrible. She's not alabaster. You could True. plausibly it, it, it's say not storm. Right. Um, you know, I just think with the greats of, uh, you know, the great artists that we associate with Marvel, sometimes, uh, color does a disservice to their work. And that is my, my real fear. If, if we're going to go to Dodderman after setting this really incredible precedent, one thing it's going to look off no matter what, just period, it's going to be two different color people that are the same character mm. one from one issue to the next but she'll then, be this color again yes exactly i can't yeah. uh, you know that there's there's the respect level and then there's like it's just this uh, disjointed series at that point so that's that is my only concern i hope they were really able to focus on that and saw what sarah pacelli chose to do yep. and said you know we're going to make sure the colorist who works with Dodderman uh, mm-hmm. takes care of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's really tough to think about like, yes, the Dodderman did a great job designing the outfit, the look, and I know everything is based, the costume is all based on his designs, but the work Sarah Pacelli's done to individualize her is just next level. Um. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's well, next level, a thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand, mm-hmm. Like uh, Gordon Ramsay is about to start yelling at Rich Blaze and Naisha about how they need to next level chef. Anybody? Nobody? Fine. I'm alone in this one. But uh, then there really is something about seeing the engagement of Scarlet Witch as having a personality visually. Mm-hmm. She really is oftentimes like, and like, I love a good New York cheesecake where it's like so thick, it's hard mm-hmm. to eat. You know what I mean? And like you still cover it in the beautiful raspberry sauce, and like it's such a mouthful. And like I feel like Scarlet Witch is often shown as like like a piece of New York cheesecake. She's just this thick, dense, beautiful thing, and they forget to give her a unique personality. She is that bland white sheet, that perfect crust, per, like everything. But there needs to be more. She is a person, not an mm-hmm. item, 
And by making her beautiful, like an ornate item, we really lose a lot of the ability to love Scarlet Witch as a person. And I think Sarah Pacelli said she's a person, not just a magical creature. And by reminding us that Scarlet Witch isn't just a Pegasus, I think yeah. uh, we were really able to get a book that looked cool. Yeah, so I, now I, I gotta pivot the questions to ask about the backup story in issue two, um, written by uh, Stephanie Williams, who's done some amazing work throughout. Uh, Chris Allen is an artist, D Confi uh, color artist, and VCs Corey as our letterer for that one too. So what did we love these i love the story i thought it was great to see uh wanda have to work with mutants again try to uh, fix the relationship i i don't always love some writers for fantasy to lean into aurora's mystical side um just because I, it, some sometimes when some writers approach it i i feel that it can come across definitely the wrong way i think steve orlando did a fine job it didn't come off in that way and it was nothing it, it didn't come off as um tropey as some of the other times that they do where were y'all at with this presentation of aurora and wanda and this backup story i'll let y'all talk first I, I want to hear you. I definitely Sorry. get nervous that when a writer tries to apply black girl magic, they sometimes wind up with a oh, magic black yeah. girl. And it, it winds up being not what I'm looking for. Like when when somebody says like, oh, we're going to do something and it's going to be based on Swedish magic. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> it's white and it's fine and it's not cocaine. So, you know, go for it. And like when somebody's like, we're going to do black woman magic i'm like well now be careful because there's a lot of pain buried in what you're talking about yeah. that people have appropriated mm -hmm. knowing that stephanie williams who yeah. wrote this is a black woman and knowing that she has shown a dexterous certain care over the years i am very eager to see more but this felt like an afterthought time and space wise that did not befit the quality of writing and if it had two more pages, it would have been perfect. Yeah. But the two pages that had to be cut felt aching. Yeah, I um, to give Stephanie Williams this story, on the one hand, of course, I'm happy to see it. But as a backup story in the book, it sort of starts to beg the question, well, why don't you just give her the book? Steve Orlando's got, <laughs> Steve Orlando's got plenty of work. Uh, I yeah. love Steve Orlando's work. I love Steve Orlando's Scarlet Witch. But if I had the choice, I would probably choose somebody like Stephanie Williams to write yeah. this or a lot of other people. So, you know, um, was it like my favorite story ever? No, but I thought it was really cool. And I was glad to see Aurora. I guess the big thing was it was a choice that I would not have made, but I respected, which was let's establish that we're going to mention that Magneto died, but we are not going to dwell on it because I had the emotional reaction to talking about the fact that Magneto died. And I was like, why don't we cry about this? Because it's not his book and because uh, we're doing other things. We're just going to fight a horse. <laughs> But, but I was like, why don't we actually just spend this issue crying about Eric instead of fighting the horse? And then I realized, like, somebody made made a, a probably what is a better choice, but one that I had a, an emotional reaction to. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the thing that I really thought was, like, maybe she should just write this? Like, she should just write it? Yeah, 
the yeah. Doctor uh, Hydro was not needed. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I just it's it, it just thinks I just think like Storm. I I I love Storm as she is, and I think making her be the bearer of all things as the most powerful black woman in Marvel Comics is unfair to everyone because there's so many yeah. great uh, black women characters in Marvel Comics who can mm-hmm. do magic already. Mm-hmm. Like it's just. Storm, don't yeah. make Storm Wolverine. Don't oversaturate us with her to the point where we yeah. start to hate her. But I'll give um, you the quick challenge of like, at least it was just like, hey, Storm, you're a little more tied to magic than most people. Hit it with a magical thought. And it wasn't <laughs> like, let's delve into this over 10 issues. No. It could go there. No, no, no. Raven. No, it, they needed to pick a struggle and stick with it. Fair. I think overall it needed at least two more pages because there was some pacing problems that really detracted from what could have been a very, very impactful story. But Aurora has never really leaned into that magical side. She hasn't explored it, especially not recently. She has not really explored anything magical. So for Wanda to just go, just believe, I'm like, (laughs) but I don't because she has no training in it. I get that she has it in her blood, but just being able to have main character syndrome whenever is needed really detracts from the hard work the lot of of writers have put in developing Storm, Aurora Munro as an actual character. Oh no, she's come down with a case of protagonism. Yes! Yes, in the worst ways! In the worst ways! Just... Honey, no. Just... Is it fatal? Is it fatal? Oh no. It's, I don't know. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> I think I mean, Raven's got the cure. It's it's like it's like no. Like I would have loved to have seen a combination of Aurora's mutant powers yeah. bolstering Wanda's magic. Yeah. Because we've said, oh no, 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 Wanda's not a mutant anymore. Okay, great. Well then don't make Storm a witch suddenly just to fit this one role. Like, make it work for the characters they are. It doesn't detract from either one of them if they're not a mutant or if they're not a witch. Like, have them work together. So I would love to see that kind of intersectionality. Please, let me see that kind of intersectionality. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has to be uber super powerful and what do I need to be today? I'm a mutant who's also a witch who's also a god. And it's like... Limits build character. They do. Yes. They make a narrative more interesting. Absolutely. One of the reasons I always loved Storm as a kid because uh, a lot of when I was reading back issue stuff, she was powerless. So Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. am like, you've got this really strong, powerful woman who is out there. She used to have these powers and now Mm -hmm. she's just out there leading the way, uh, doing everything she can to make the world better. And she's got no powers. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that struggle for Storm's character always made her better I'm, i shouldn't need to go through that again i don't need i don't yeah, need another no. powerless well era. honestly i think the best thing that could be done with wanda at this point in her history is to take her powers away and give her a comic because i think that this i love the like individual stories but overall this is just rehashing the same wanda we're get we've gotten for the last 50 freaking years like it's it's you know literally a punching Wanda and her brother wanda and you know vision's daughter this time wanda and some mutant and talking about her dad i mean it's there's no there's no wanda by herself like take away Mm -hmm. her powers drop her in some dimension where she doesn't know anyone and then make her survive 
What is like, Wanda when without they took their powers away? Right. What is Wanda without a a life ending crisis? Mm-hmm. That's what I want to see. Because honestly, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen Wanda really portrayed as a person who's healing, a person who's grieving, a person who just lost their father, who's yeah. dealing with a whole lot of other bullshit. Like, I would love to see her go, you know what? I'm just going to limit myself for like the next yeah. 10 years or mm-hmm. whatever in, in universe time. I'm going to limit myself for a while. I'm not going to be able to do anything, you know, above, you know, minor teleportation of like five miles or some shit like that. Like, give me just Wanda versus yeah. I'm Wanda and somebody's <laughs> life is about to end if I don't jump in there. <laughs> oh no, look at this hardcore right wing BDSM kink going on here. Am I supposed to be in this scene? Like, <laughs> like I needed, I needed not the like the whole crisis. I needed small, small crisis. Small crisis is good. You wanted Wanda, yeah. not James Wan. <laughs> you wanted like Wanda back in the eighties when she was like, "Oh, I changed the probabilities. I'm gonna faint." Oh. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> Wait, do you oh. need any staples? Oh, you think God. you're out of staples? Two Look again. Staples. Exactly. Like, I've got you. Office supplies. You're not out of toner. I don't mind if Wanda works at an office max, but she is queen about it. Oh uh, you know what? It, it's great that this conversation evolved in that way from Storm sometimes suffering from that main character syndrome to what what they have. Over, I, I I definitely think they've overpowered Wanda lately. I I don't think. So here, here's here's, here's the problem. Under personality, the last door. <laughs> here's the problem with with Wanda, right? How how can we justify her being a superhero at this point in time? Uh, after all of the unfortunately written by a lot of male writers, but the unfortunate mental incidents that she has had, like at at that point, like if say she when she's on the Avengers again, like. If she goes dark, uh, how can the Avengers not be like, oh, we had no idea. Everybody be like, no, you knew this was going to happen. And that's even like, that's even sort of like my, my ultimate takeaway from this book, right? Like the way she gets rid of both of these villains, they're like there. And then all of a sudden it's just sort of like, bye, villains were here. The villains just sort of plop in and then they're gone. And then Wanda's just sitting there at the end and she's just like, Hey guys, I'm just, you know, satin forever and at rest here. And she's just uh, chilling out. I think she threw a rose at them and it like saved the day. <laughs> yeah, straight up, Wanda and Viv Vision are just 1000% the Gilmore girls right now. <laughs> and, you know, you asked what happens if you take away Wanda's powers? What do you have? Well, if you ask Multiverse of Madness's better scenes, she's a mom who loves yeah. her kids and. That's what Steve Orlando gave me in the second issue. But, at, at, you know, what she did to Dream Queen is delicious. And it goes on my, like, list of Gail Simone having Rhino Whittle down to a keychain. <laughs> that's, like, one of the greatest moments in comic history. Mm-hmm. But Oh, that's going to be, like, um, Kane Marco going into the uh, Diamond, uh, Onslaught's Diamond or whatever. I'm like, okay. <laughs> right? Neatly done. <laughs> But so, like, as as we are wrapping up this issue, um, so um, I, I've got I'm, I'm left with a lot of feelings on this issue. So, like, as, as we get to our final thoughts, um, what 
it, it, I enjoy Steve Orlando's writing. Steve Orlando mm -hmm. is definitely a more of a like action oriented, like bam pow kind of type series. And, and I'm going to continue this because it's been a fun thing for my bucks kind of book. Um, yeah. I, I would I would love a book more along the lines of like a Vida Ayala or Leah Williams book where Wanda is actually adjusting to um, the traumas that she has suffered. You know, that, that's the book I really want to see about Scarlet Witch, but I, I'm still along for the ride. This was fun. Um, you, you got me with the Dream Queen, like pull that out of your butt. You're, you got me every time. So how are... Are y'all going to be picking up the series still? Is this a go forward or is this like a past? And give me any final thoughts on this issue too as you're going around. You know, I'm I'm in. I'm in for good. I really like this book. Uh, in for, uh, you know, the ride. I think what I would rather see is Wanda and Elektra and Storm and Jean all hang out with like oh. Thor and have Thor be like, all right, so this is what it's like to be a god who's a hero, who's not really a person, who's a god. <laughs> and this is what it takes. Yeah. And this is where you have to like, you know, you have to piss a little bit less far so the other Avengers don't get too jealous, right? And you know, these women would be like, we've already been pissing less far for the men. <laughs> right? All of them, yeah, we sit. But like, <laughs> I really need to see these sort of women given the room not to rise to the occasion because the women have already risen it's yep. the stories need to make room for those women now mm -hmm. because you've demanded the women be this good and this big okay now they are but now you need to accommodate what you've created and it's not just a cup size it's a character and that's what I want to see. I'm in for this book, but I want to see the bar of who Scarlet Witch is raised beyond just her fabulous covers. I think I'm in. I'm maybe trade waiting. Um, I know yeah. I will read every issue of this. Uh, if I'm disappointed about one other thing, it's that you probably can't convince me that this is going to tie into anything super important that's happening oh, over no. the next yeah. you know, six months to a year. Um, so that's the, one of the reasons why I'm like, you know, I, I want to read every single issue, but I maybe am not going to read them all, uh, the week they come out. Uh, it's getting real busy these days, mm -hmm. but it's really fantastic to see, uh, a, a woman led solo title. We're just still not getting enough of them. Would love to see it women, woman written as well, but you know, um, yeah. I, I still just, I think one of the things we all reiterated over and over again is I see so much potential for this character and I am ready to see Marvel explore that potential and not do the like, hey, in case you forgot, she's got a brother. She does magic. She's really powerful. Uh, let's do yep. some new stuff. And then Raven and Jake, as y'all give your last thoughts, please give your hand off handles. I think for me, I'm going to trade weight on this one. Um, I think it'll make more sense and just be, feel more fleshed okay, out fair. once it's yeah. in, in trade. And that way I can just read through instead of going, oh, that didn't, I didn't quite get, I, I don't know if they were going to blah, blah. I, I want to see how the pacing actually goes overall. Um, so I think I'm going to trade weight on this one. and But I will still be picking up the trade. So, yeah. And where can we find you? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you can find me under Sanguine Threads or In a Bathory over on TikTok. That is now becoming kind of my my main way of being out there and whatnot. So it's D&D &D kind of storytelling, 
prop making, costuming, and whatnot. And yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, and that top is fabulous, you Raven. The top. It's actually a whole ass dress. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Da, da, da. Wow! <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you must be a waitress because you're just serving. Serving. Oh, God damn Thank you. you. <laughs> it's like a bottomless mimosa. Wow. <laughs> and well, now I have to follow up on a bottomless mimosa. That's not fair. <laughs> Good oh. luck. Yeah. <laughs> Every top's um, nightmare. Well. This book is a toot for me, but I'm probably going to wait on the trade as well because uh, I do love the interiors, but the the, the plot development is really a slow burn. And yeah, yeah it, with with so much going on right now, sense of sinister, etc. Yeah. Um, I I think I will keep this in my in my uh, wait for the trade list uh, to make a little more bandwidth brain space. I only have so much of that these days. Um, but I'm really enjoying the book. It's beautiful to look at, and I love Scarlet Witch as a character, and I just want so much for her. Um, and I'm, I'm, I believe that that Steve Orlando can give that to us. I believe it, Steve. Got this. Well, until we come back to talk more of these amazing titles, it has been a true pleasure to have you with us, Jake and Raven. And these other two maniacs next to me are going to come back just after the break. Where we're talking some Shang-Chi, we're talking some, wait, I can do this, Ghost Rider. And then we're talking, oh my god, I'm so excited about Daredevil that I am like literally melting on screen. But we're going to take a quick break. Check out these commercials. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a comment, let us know what you think. We think you're amazing. We hope we think you're amazing. We hope you think you're amazing too. We hope you think yeah, you're yeah, amazing. Yeah, y'all should. And we'll see you guys in just a minute. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hey everybody, we are back and I am so excited to bring on some new people. Some, not that the other people that we had on this morning could not talk about these books, but this morning. <laughs> this Literally three minutes ago. Yeah, this, this evening. Uh, couldn't handle these books, but we love to have this incredible rotating cast of voices because we have had so many people over the years and we've had so many titles. It is always so exciting. And I believe somebody here is making their... X's for live YouTube debut today. So uh, <laughs> both of you gentlemen, uh, introduce yourselves and uh, tell us where we can find you. Uh, I am Wonder Steven. You can find me over on Twitter at Steven of Wonder um, and over on Instagram as the.steven.marin. Hey everyone, it's Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience. And, you know, I was not ready to not survive this experience. We're here to say goodbye to the incredible run of Shang-Chi that has been brought to us the last several years by roughly the same creative team. We've had Jean Luen Yang on art i mean on writing Whew, sorry about that and on this issue he was joined by michael yeeg on pencils and inks alongside colors by eric arseniega and fernando cifuentes and letters by travis lanham it's so interesting for this particular issue because uh we felt like you know zhang chi might go till the next film and then all of a sudden we see it cut kind of short and it ends in this one shot but 
we already know that these characters are going to show up in backup stories throughout uh, Asian Heritage Month, right? So that's already very exciting. We know that we're going to see Jean Wen Yang write Sister Dagger as a backup in the pages of X-Force. So that's going to be really, really exciting. So before anything else, you guys, where have you been on this incredible Shang-Chi adventure that we've been on for the last three years? I mean, I just fell in love. Uh, you know, the the constant refrain, Nico, you made me read this. Um, I was not particularly interested. But, you know, this is the this is the one I will give myself some credit. I thought it was maybe, uh, I didn't know where to get into it, but I loved the film so much that this was the one that I was like, uh, if, I were, if I were really going to try for a character that I didn't previously like, it's going to be Shang-Chi. I just don't really know where to start. And, you know, there really are some fantastic things on Marvel Unlimited, uh, some Infinity Comics and some supplementary materials. Plus, of course, at this point, back issues that make it super easy to get into the most recent few years of Shang-Chi that are very accessible and easy to read. Um, But this has been it was a really interesting kind of uh, journey because as I was onboarding, I was really getting to know this 616 Shang-Chi. And then once I was like fully established and in for this last story, we started making the 616 Shang-Chi resemble more closely the MCU Shang-Chi by uh, having him master the Ten Rings in some capacity. And that maybe has been a tougher pill to swallow, but one that makes sense. Uh, I think it's just, uh, for me, a bit unfortunate that that's where we're ending for now. I, I got to say, like, the the issue now I'm going to let y'all kind of influence me as to whether it's something I'm going to pick up or read. This current issue I didn't even read because the ending of the last book, I like UTK, I didn't really like the shoving of Shang-Chi more towards that MCU narrative on the character himself. I have loved this era overall, though. I've loved that we've gotten Asian creators on an Asian character, and we have, in the same way that, you know, um, we're talking about with, like, you know, the daughter of Blade, you know, that we're actually getting to see people talk more about the cultures that they grew up in, and it's not some of... Shang-Chi used to be like Blade for me, where I, I know if I read some of the 70s appearances, I'm really afraid of what I'm going to find, what kind of bad racist tropes I'm going to see and all of that. So it, it's something that I love this modern era. I love the voice that they in the character. I love everything about the character. I just, this last story was well-constructed. I just didn't love the direction. Steven, how about you? How have you felt about the last run of Shang-Chi? I, I actually really liked the direction uh, that they took, making him a little bit more um, in line with the MCU, but still giving him like giving him their his own take in the actual comics themselves. Uh, and I actually really love that they gave him the rings as well. I think it really fits his character. But I think the thing that I appreciate the most about it is the sense of family. And even though there family. is a lot of yeah, even though there's a lot of infighting among the siblings, I actually really love that, you know, it ends in a hug a lot of the times. So I, it's something that resonated with me. So Steven's here for the TGIF of it. I Jonah, <laughs> Jonah, talk to me. I was like, let's go see this movie. I was like, 
let's uh, let's read this comic. I was like, come with me to uh, the Disney store so I can buy the spirit sticks. Uh, <laughs> I really liked this movie a lot. And uh, so you heard about this and this book nonstop. Tell me how you felt about coming to the conclusion of a narrative that I asked you to join me on uh, over a year ago. Yes. Uh, for me, only knowing Shang-Chi by name say from Nico saying, yes, this was Marvel's way of trying to break into the Kung Fu world way back in the 80s. And to not only seeing his movie, but read a ton of comics with him in it. I ultimately liked everything that i read because i like the direct i like some of the direction that it went i don't know if i fully agree with everything as a comic consumer because i don't know if everything jive with me specifically and part of that is shang chi as a character i always think back to our uh, amazing interview with Alyssa wong talking about how shang chi is the most lawful good that you can get out of a marvel character and there's only so many ways you can make an interesting story with a character that's so defined by how morally good he is. But I think where a lot of my enjoyment came out of was his siblings and how there was that interplay of family and that difference in values, that difference in upbringing, that difference of what kind of people do we want to be? What are we going to follow? Are we following Shang-Chi because that's what we're expected to do because he's the leader of our um of our group or do we want to because we love our brother and we actually agree with what he's saying and you know stuff like that i do feel kind of cheated because i would have liked to have seen more and i would have liked to have seen a lot more where i feel like shang chi can stand on his own that doesn't have to you know follow what the mcu is doing not to say that i didn't love that movie and didn't enjoy everything that came out of it but i have a hard time feeling like what makes the comic Shang-Chi unique comparative to the MCU Shang-Chi? I think there should be plenty of similarities, but I'm missing that specialness from the character right now. And I don't know if this was the ending I wanted for him. Yeah. And, you know, it's in part because the thing that I love the most about this book was his family. So then they bring in his family and I'm very connected with that narrative. And while well, the pivot to the rings wasn't even the biggest problem, it was the, the divorce of his family from the narrative just to bring them back in at the last second. That was a specifically interesting choice that I was not even just confused by, but I questioned the decision to so aggressively disconnect from the story with his family just to have them come back at the very end in sort of like an, oh, by the way, you love these characters, don't worry, they're back kind of way. I have no real complaints about the resolution with his dad being so rushed, which it was. If anything, my biggest concern was, is the narrative simply over because Jean Luen Yang can no longer contribute to a monthly comic? So we're putting things in a status quo when there was more story to tell. Or have we just brought back his family, family, for the sake, family, for the sake of proving that this is a nice bow, this is a conclusive ending? How do you guys feel? Was this just a rush job or do you feel we're missing some pieces from the story? I definitely feel we're missing some pieces from the story, especially this last issue. I think the idea of this was really great. 
and a good resolution in universe for the character to kind of rec- uh, reconcile his feelings about his father. But I don't know. I I don't know if I always like the narrative of they always they always weren't like this. There used to be a good person too, and that's not to say I, that narrative just might not be for me. I think there comes a time when especially with the concept of death a lot of people will try to forgive or kind of sweep under the rug the bad things someone did now that they've passed and i don't know if that's entirely fair to them as a character so i don't know if this kind of extremely rushed job of only shang chi gets to really have any kind of closure where i don't know if i fully agree with the closure I don't know if this was, this definitely wasn't the ending I wanted for it. And I'm still trying to figure out, was this book really for me? It felt like a rush job to me. Um, I, well, and you know, maybe not even a rush job, but certainly Marvel made a choice to conclude a story that was really just sort of laying groundwork for how it could be so many more stories. Yeah, and it, I, I was ready for those stories, um, and you know, I was ready to see how this family and this organization could interact with things like Tiger Division. Um, there are whole parts of the Marvel universe that don't revolve around the Avengers and the X Men, and I feel like they aren't getting the sort of like let's put multiple writers no i'm sorry hold on i i'm sorry i i do the fact checking on this show there's actually no comics at marvel that aren't spider-man x-men or avengers i they just don't publish them mea culpa how can i get that so wrong um i you know i just i would love to see star wars <laughs> Star Wars with Planet of the Apes variant, yeah. right? <laughs> and one Planet of the Apes book, but that's yeah. going to be a couple issues. Um, I would love to see other writers getting together and doing what we have all heard so much about them doing in the X Office and collaborating on other corners of the Marvel Universe and finding ways to tell stories that interweave a little bit and share a common, you know, common thread and common ground. Um, And Shang-Chi just felt like it was laying down so much fertile ground for that. And now it just feels like they're like, and and we are done. Okay. And we're done. I... I guess it's like when it comes to stuff like that, there's only so much the writer can do if they have such limited time to wrap things up. So while, yes, I will admit it definitely did feel rushed to me. I tried to look at it from like, well, what did they have the time for? Did they get, you know, the important character moments in? And I do think it given more time, maybe it wouldn't have been only Shang-Chi who actually got that resolution um, that, closure but this is this is what we got (laughs) but i mean i kind of loved it i didn't really realize we were not getting anything more and i really really wish it was going to continue because i actually was looking forward to this book and i really really enjoyed the series itself so as we start to put our last thoughts together on this title my question for you guys is how have you felt about your shunk journey what has been your experience with 
coming to understanding who this character is. For me, you know, I've spent a while trying to figure out the, I guess the perhaps the goal Marvel had with this character from the start. You know, when they gave Ed Brubaker permission to sort of update the character back in Secret Avengers when Ed Brubaker was the ticket at Marvel, it started something that they then couldn't finish. We've seen a lot of iterations of this character, and my concern is that this is a really cool moment that we're going to look back on as a memorable omnibus. Just sort of like Iron Fist, who, yeah, no, a cultural appropriation is why Iron Fist didn't really launch the way he should have out of Immortal Iron Fist, but... He's just an example of many characters, like Silk, who had an amazing amount of energy put behind her. Uh, America Chavez. Or, you know, to pick on, like, and I mean pick on funny, but like to go after a character who is whiter, that doesn't really always get the same attention, Ben Riley, who kind of keeps becoming a joke. There's a lot of characters who deserve that run of ground, and I just want to see Sang chi get it, you know, because... He deserves it. So, and I'd love to get your guys' take. I think I feel pretty similarly. I, you know, I'm. This has been a really affirming journey for almost all of it. Getting to go from, you know, my strong impressions of Shang-Chi being from the film to learning about the character in 616 continuity and seeing people like, I mean, I. The first story I read where I was really like, I am in and I love this. I love this character. I love what this world could be was Alyssa Wong's Infinity comic um, that I feel like should be the next Shang-Chi movie. It translates perfectly into a film script. And I think it would just be a really fun, great story. It would introduce White Fox. And, you know, I had just sort of been getting into White Fox. So seeing her here was really special. And this was where I started to be like, there's all these characters revolving around Shang-Chi that could make a really interesting slice of Marvel Universe the way that Krakoa does, the way that things in the Avengers world do. And I would just love to see them all talking to each other, as I said before. But it really was an experience of falling in love with all of them, reading these stories and falling in love with the family as well. And I, I exit uh, this run still very hopeful. I, I still can see so much potential. And, um, you know, it just takes somebody coming in and being like, I want those characters. Yeah, I, I think the amount of attention and publicity the character has gotten because of the movie, I think that the having like the last two staple uh of writers like the last two writers jin yang and Alyssa yang with Alyssa wong like having been asian having really ha- had a chance to actually let the characters you know stay with the character long enough to let leave a lasting impression i think this should be the definitive 616 take for shang chi um I, I think the character development the character growth um, you know, his family, his stories that he's gotten, there's been so much depth. This is definitely, if you're a Shang-Chi fan from the 616, this has got to be your golden era for the character. Um, you know, I, I'd love to see, I know the book will come back. He, he's got to come back. He's going to, whenever we get Shang-Chi 2, you know, we'll, hopefully we'll get another book back. I, I, it's weird that Marvel has been putting out titles for movies and then kind of taking it back. It's weird that we don't have an Eternals movie going on right now and the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, book going on right now. 
and now we're not going to have Shang-Chi going forward. So it's 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 strange to see that, but I I know they'll come back when these properties come back. Uh you're on mute. Nico, where are you? I was like, no, Steven's not on mute. He's fine. <laughs> I was saying, Steven, it's your turn. Oh, okay. Steven. <laughs> um, well, I guess I am... Oh, God, I... Sorry, I don't know what's wrong with me right now. Oh, that, that is my face and his lip, large. Um, I'm just really... I'm a little disappointed that it seems like we really are only going to see them in stories, like backup stories. But I'm glad that we did get this. I love the modernization of the character because that's something I always struggled with, with with him in the past. So the MCUification was what I really, really adored. Um, you know, the more modern look, all of that. Uh, sorry, I don't want to take up too much time, but that was I, I really, really was so excited uh, for this for this character to have so much spotlight. You're you're good. I promise. I'll okay. cut you off when you have to be cut off. Don't worry. Okay, fair. Um, but Jonah, uh, so cut cut Stephen off. So Jonah, um, <laughs> you know, like I said, this has been such an exciting thing to share this character with you. You had such a special relationship with uh, most of his siblings, a little bit more than maybe Shang Chi himself. Walking away, how do you feel about the relationship you've established with these siblings and? Do you feel like you've gotten your Shang Chi's worth out of these ten rings? I don't. Okay, to answer your one of your questions first, I don't know if I got my Shang Chi's worth because I wanted more. I really enjoyed Jean's take on the character and trying to bridge the gap between modernization, MCUification, their own voice, everything that goes into creating this character, and not creating this character, but establishing this character and bringing them into the modern day comic. Uh, you know, audience, and how do we how do we make this character interesting? And I think Jean really achieved that with um, their take on Shang Chi. And I am, as I said before, I am disappointed that we're not getting more of it. It seems like in terms of main series comic, because well, right now Shang Chi Two the movie is not really it isn't coming out anytime soon. We got a couple of yeah. other movies we're gonna get to first. Um, so I really did want more in terms of. The characters that we I was introduced to through uh, this run, mostly his siblings, I really enjoyed them because I think that this was something that we hadn't, at least I haven't encountered in a lot of the current Marvel run, uh, comics or titles, is you know ta- having that kind of connection with your siblings. I don't think there's many books right now covering that familial that part of familiar dynamic of sibling, brother, and sister. Um, and that different uh, different kind of interplay that comes with it. I really enjoyed that kind of style of writing as well as how these characters interact with one another because I'm going to be kind of honest. I like the siblings. I do like the siblings a little bit more. I do find them a little bit more fascinating and interesting because they seem a little more nuanced than Shang-Chi is right now. Again, that comes down to the you're, they're more a little bit more chaotic good as opposed to lawful good. And I really liked that kind of interplay of characterization of what kind of situations would these characters react in. But all that is to say is, I will miss this title. I will miss seeing these characters all together at once. However, 
I am appreciative of that they're not going on the back burner and they're not being put in those, you know, those little comic bins and, you know, for putting back on the shelf until it's time again. We are going to be seeing them. And I will say that is the nice consolation of, okay, we're not done yet. And Marvel still has faith in these characters. And, you know, one of the things I really liked was that with Shang-Chi and his siblings, they tried to give us an opportunity to have kind of like a choose your own favorite, like as a Green Lantern guy. And like, I mean, I literally, I only take the ring off because of the green screen. Otherwise it's always on. Like I literally keep my Green Lantern ring on 24 seven. I, uh, <clears throat> I do love the idea that you can have franchises that give you one of whatever you want. And I could not have known when the gentlemen all around me agreed to go on a journey to find out more about the Ghost Riders with me, that there would be a Ghost Rider for everybody. You know, my Ghost Rider is Robbie, secondary is Kushala, of course. I do believe, Nathan, uh, I do believe I have a photo of your Ghost Rider, uh, possibly. So just hang in on that for a moment. Mm. But uh, <clears throat> I would love to know, everybody, uh, who is your Ghost Rider? You know, uh, Nathan, like I said, I have a sinking feeling that I, I have your Ghost Rider in mind already. Uh, uh, okay, I, I need to know what, what is what is it that you who is it that you think it is? Uh, Kevo, if you wouldn't mind rolling footage, I do believe. Oh, yeah, it's your Ghost Rider. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's if, if I'm gonna think of Ghost Rider, it's gonna be Nick Cage's Ghost Rider, absolutely. I, if I had to pick a, if I had to pick a comics version, it's probably, oddly enough, Banshee now. Yeah, Spirit of Variant yeah. forever. Spirit of Variant, like mm, uh. love it. Like, oh God, yeah, yeah. Nick Cage's uh, Ghost Rider, mm, love it. But now everybody, Ghost Ride, Ghost Ride, the Ghost Ride, the Ghost Ride. I want to know who's your Ghost Rider. What who is your Ghost Rider, and what does he do? Uh, to Ghost Ride that whip, uh, for me. Um, I might not be a shock. It's Robbie. I, oh. I love Robbie. He's just so cool. He's got a cool car, and he's just—he's just cool. Like he's a kind of dude I'm just gonna want to hang out with. I'm like, get in the passenger seat of his car and let it ride. Yeah, I mean, he is the best fucking effing time in the world. I have such yeah. a crush on Robbie he, Reyes. He's got to be like Jason Aaron. Like if I got to think Jason Aaron for one thing, it's like introducing me to Robbie Reyes as a character for real. Like getting some good characterization down. Like mm, love it. And a close uh, second place is Kushala because I've enjoyed her in Midnight Suns, even though that is a book that I am currently reading. <laughs> Critically reviewed. For me, it is Kushala, 100%. Um, she is why I fell in love with Ghost Riders. Uh, Banshee is becoming a really close second, but um, that's I, we've got so much more work to do there. I'm sure he's not the first Cassidy that's written Kane Marco. Um, but I love Kushala. She's incredible. Um yeah, that's that's all I have to say about that. Oh my gosh! Wow, uh, talk about driving stick on that one. God, yeah. I I I will refrain from giving my feelings about Banshee uh, currently, <laughs> but uh, mine would probably be Robbie Reyes because 
I love Latino representation and I wish we had more of it. Um, but the extent of my Ghost Rider knowledge is anything in the uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance video games and the two mm -hmm. movies. So, so Robbie Reyes was also just such a breath of fresh air. So that's that's my vote. Was I the last one? No, uh, I believe Jonah. Jonah, don't you? No, have Jonah a... went. Jonah said Robbie. Jonah went. Said Robbie. Oh yeah. <laughs> You forgot my answer already about how I just gushed over Robbie Reyes? <laughs> well, I believe this guy is in charge over here. So, uh, I would, but you know, you started with the whole thing. So I was like, I guess Nico's leading. So you know, I was just chilling. Well, so, you know, here we are to talk about issues 10 and 11 of Ben Percy's Ghost Rider. Uh, of course, written by Ben Percy with uh, art by Corey Smith, Dave Cutler and uh, David Wachter. Inks by Oren Jr. and David Wachter. Colors by Brian Valenza. Letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This was a fascinating couple to read. When I start putting together the schedule for the show, I think a lot about... You know, whether there is a double up to do with a book, uh, whether it makes sense to do single issues. And this was one of those times where I was really caught because issue 10 is a definitive storyline ending. And it really feels like where Marvel ends a lot of its books these days. Issue 10, you're not getting any more, so you better write a good ending. And Ben Percy, God bless him, wrote an ending that feels like a Marvel ending, that feels like a, hey Ben, you are not getting an issue 11, so I hope you have yep. said everything you need to say. But then we have this issue 11. He clearly did. He he pulled it off. He's Ben Percy. He's the king over there. Uh, so first, I want to talk to you guys about what you thought of this ending of this first major arc and this kind of rejuvenation of Johnny Blaze's boring life before this. I was in. Uh, you know, set the dude's head on fire. I'm about it. I thought that the best thing about this book is Talia Warroad, who could have her own title. Yeah. She could hang with yeah. the Monsters Unleashed crew. She and Elsa Bloodstone could do a Thelma and Louise bit. And I would watch, like, I would love to see them do a, with, you know, throw in Mary Walker and they can do a Cell Block Tango. Ooh. And I would just really appreciate it. She's such a great character. I think, uh, you know, in some ways, Johnny kind of fades into the background. I think in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, it's as if Percy is allowing us to ride Johnny as a vehicle into the book. Um, because Johnny is just sort of the passenger as much as we are. And it's it's a really important thing because I think Ghost Rider needed a reset. I think he needed an opportunity because we're seeing bigger and bigger ideas over and over again. But we just need a chance to breathe on them. And this was a really good chance to breathe on him. That said... Knowing that we're getting an X-Force Wolverine Ghost Rider crossover coming up with um, Spirits of Weapons of Destructo Max or whatever, I don't know. I'm in. I'm in because I really want to see Wolverine catch on fire and have a flaming skull and have him be like, nah, this isn't even unusual. Flames, but, um, flames on the side of his face. On flames, of his face. flames on the side of his face. Heaving, heaving claws. And so, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> uh, I, I'm so glad you said that because issue 10 felt like the end of the series. Like, it felt like an end of the series. And then I get to issue 11, and I'm like, like, what? what? Like, I'm like, <laughs> okay. volume two. I'm like, but what, what happened with the, what happened? 
where's Danny Kurt? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what's going on here? Like, why you like you don't drop that in issue ten, and then like, here's a more different story. Like, really good story. Like, I love the story, but like, it was just like, what? It's like, hey Ben, you got to come up with something. I, I, I've though, I've enjoyed this. This is like, this has restored my faith that Ben Percy knows how to write like interesting, strong women in relations with his characters because. We get a lot of Wolverine's relationships, but Ben Percy, um, his version of Wolverine is not to have anywhere near a healthy relationship at all with a woman or with many people at all, period. So it was really good to see a relationship blooming that, sure, was, is Johnny Blaze the unhealthy guy? Yeah, it's not like a great relationship, but like it was much more, he was much more respectful than Logan has been to any of the women we've seen in his life. You know, I was thinking that the, the other relationship that Wolverine had that was really good in X-Force was with surfing. And then I realized that surfing, driving things, it's the, it's the narrative Percy has down. Six of one, half dozen of the other. Sledding, you know, when he was in the tundra. Yeah. Steven and Jonah, what did you think about the conclusion in issue 10? And then, you know, a little bit, what did you think about the what ought to be volume two, but is just issue 11? 11. <laughs> um well I am a little surprised that it's not continuing because I I thought it was actually very well written. Uh I really, really so it, enjoyed it is continuing. Yeah. It is I thought it wasn't. No, no it, it's going it, to it at is. least issue fourteen. It, that's oh, what we're saying it's getting a crossover with Wolverine. Yep. Oh I yeah, I knew he was getting sorry, I knew he was getting the um the crossover. I just didn't know that. I don't, I don't know what is wrong with me. I apologize. Um, yeah, I actually really love it. I love his Johnny. I find that I struggle with Percy's writing a little bit because I think that there's a lot of machismo that I don't really resonate with. Yeah. But his Johnny was surprisingly soft. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. Compared to a lot of the other more like hyper masculine characters he writes. Yeah. Wolverine. Um, so I just feel like this was a very it was like it was really fresh for me to read his writing on this book because it's such a dark um it's got such a dark vibe but then the character it's so offset by who the character of johnny blaze is in this um i'm really looking forward to reading more so yeah jonah so uh you read issue 10 and you're like, oh, okay, you know, we got a proper ending. Everything's wrapped up. You know, the day is saved and we can move on. And then issue 11 comes out and it's like, surprise, bitch. I bet you thought you saw, I bet you thought you saw the last of May. Uh, we really thought it really was uh, American Horror Story Coven up in here. And we're like, oh, well, I guess we're going to keep going. Um, it's like, oops, it's apocalypse now. What do we do? <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah. I love, I love the idea of apocalypse. Uh, Big A himself, not in an X title. We haven't seen him in so long, but he's in here, and he's causing havoc. And uh, havoc's also here. Um, but I really did enjoy issue ten, and then issue eleven for me was a really great epilogue as well as the Marvel version of Christine because it was about a bike that was trying to kill people. <laughs> yep. So, you know, in terms of last thoughts, as we've talked about what we liked about both the conclusion of the last one and the start of this next one, I am wondering, will you be picking up 
the continuing adventures of Johnny Blaze? Were you kind of more happy to leave it at issue 10 and maybe not interested in starting up again? And do you think that Johnny has a future interacting with Kushala or with Robbie or with Banshee in his flaming screaming head? What do we think? I have been saying that if we are coming up on the summer of symbiotes and the fall of X, then I believe we are coming in for the winter of our vengeance discontent. And I think we are going to get all of the spirits of vengeance or every book is going to get one the way every book is getting a symbiote and we're going to have a big old magic party. And I'm excited for it because I think number one, the ghost writers have really become something special, but number two, this book is at least an inoffensive flagship. By that, I mean, I don't always love my, um, I don't always love Ghostwriter titles as much as I love the Ghostwriter. This book does what I want, the way I need it. I'm good to go. I, I, I gotta say, what is great about this book is there's a lot of cool body horror in the, in the art. Um, like in the, one of the issues that we're covering, like when the creature was like trying to go in the mouth of that older lady and you're like, oh my God, it's like horrifying. Like, so there's some really good body horror. Uh, Johnny is definitely like, um, I know we've said a softer male protagonist for Ben Percy to write. Um, it's, it's, it's a very much a Ben Percy book. You know, I go through phases where I like what he's doing more than I don't like what he's doing but he's very consistent in the terms of his tone and storytelling so i have to say like i definitely if, if you love percy you're gonna love ghostwriter if you haven't read it um you know and if you don't love percy there's stuff to like and there's some differences in his tone in this book so like if you're really not a fan of like x-force and wolverine you're like oh i hate those like tones this does have some of the horror vibes that he likes to bring into his books but the machismo is a lot less toned down for me, I am definitely all in for the ride on this one. I really love Percy as a horror writer. I think he is doing things at Marvel that are really changing the game in terms of horror uh, for comics because it's a rough, it's a rough genre. Um, and I think he is doing all of the right stuff. I still find this so exciting. I really like that it's actually kind of divorced from the other Ghost Rider stuff because I think that'll come eventually and I can't wait to see it. But for now, he's really setting up a lot of cool hell horror, body horror stuff. And I'm so in. This has been such a great run. Uh, Steven and Jonah, I would love your final thoughts. And also, please give us your sign-offs. Uh, well, I am... I don't know if you could tell, but I really love horror as well. Um, so the body horror was something I, I really, really loved seeing in the book. I loved the art. Um, I I was so excited to read this because of the fact that it's it's always like Ghost Rider does have such like a, a horrific tone to it when it comes to a lot of like the enemies and and oh, visuals. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to continue reading, actually. And yeah, Ben Percy knocked it out of the park. I, I was especially excited because Marvel originated as a horror line, didn't it? Uh, Dracula being, like, one of its most prominent uh, characters. So for me, like, this was just so exciting to, like, kind of revisit in this sort of sense. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. And where can we so, find yeah. you? Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at Stephen of Wonder and on Instagram at the.stephen.marin. 
Yeah. So I really enjoyed this. I would absolutely, and I will keep reading uh, on my own, whether it's for coverage for this, whatever it is, uh, I'm happy to keep reading. Um, I really have been enjoying everything I've been re- read so far, and I am excited to see where the story is going to continue to go. Um, I will say this is such a departure of expectation because the only other ghost ride I had ever read before reading this run was Method Man's Christmas Infinity comic of Robbie Reyes. So it's a very different tone than what's going on over here. And I love both equally. Um, so I'm really excited. Can I ask a very quick question? Of course. Uh, for in terms of character involvement, how involved is Ghost Rider with Damien Hellstrom? Like Ooh. you know, it depends on depends on the time. <laughs> yeah, they I think Ghost had, Rider. They've had some really serious. I mean, like any like this is all Blackheart. Uh, yeah. There have been runs where it's been very like Damien Hellstrom is in the mix in the same way that Blackheart is here. But then, I mean, it's more that um, that people don't use Damien Hellstrom that much. Yeah, I think Damien Hellstrom, I mean, I think Ghost Rider is more important to Damien Hellstrom than Damien Hellstrom is to Ghost Rider. Yeah. That's a great Yeah, book. that yeah. makes, I feel like that that's, nailed it. that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Thank Absolutely you for that. Um, and if you want to follow me, you can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Well, we are going to take a short break, but when we come back, this is a moment I have waited for. We've got some cool announcements. We've got an amazing new guest. We have uh, my absolute partner in crime. Uh, I am super excited. Can't wait. A uh, short break. We'll be right back. Roll those commercials. Oh, like and subscribe. <laughs> Request, not an instruction. I am beyond excited uh, for a zillion, trillion, billion reasons. But first off, I would like to say hi to our newest guest and to a returning favorite. Uh, If you would both be kind enough to introduce yourselves. Yeah, hi. I'm I'm Tori. You can find me on Instagram at SMTori and on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan. And I guess on at the Billy Club if you're interested in more Daredevil stuff. (laughs) At the Billy Club pod. And uh, I'm Tim. Uh, anybody that follows me on social media will know me as at Nerd in the Noak. Um, Twitter, Instagram are primarily where I'm at. Uh, I'm too old for things like TikTok. So it is what it is. I completely feel the same way. The idea of me doing a TikTok dance is enough to get me put on a list. So uh, I wouldn't do it. Uh, but no, we are here to talk about what is easily been like one of the most engaging parts of my comic reading experience of the last several years. You know, when I say that like Daredevil is, you know, X-Men is my thing, but Daredevil is my character, right? Uh, I am so connected to this character. I've spoken at length about this and Tori and I have a podcast about it and I, I've dragged TK, I've dragged TK into it and uh, Nathan came of his own volition and <laughs> Daredevil is how I found Tim in the first place. So, <laughs> I would love for all of you to talk a little bit about this Zadarsky run, Devil's Reign, this atmosphere of the dueling daredevils and where we find ourselves positioned against one of Matt's all-time favorite people to fight, Frank Castle, uh, the worst person in the world. (laughs) 
I mean, uh, you know, to keep it simple, Zadarsky is just a genius and has been doing such a fantastic job. Everything feels like it has been leading up to everything else. You know, each step feels like the next logical one in the story. Um, he really has his references down pat. Um, he has taken really bold swings. He's done so much for the daredevil corner of the Marvel universe. I think, you know, if I have any regret, it's kind of the similar thing that I said to Shang-Chi, which is I wish that like other street level New York hero comics were interweaving with this one a little bit more. I love that it's interweaving with Punisher a bunch, but like, you know, Luke Cage is having a hell of a time being mayor of Manhattan, and now he has lost... With no page time. (laughs) (laughs) No page time, and he's lost one of the most important heroes for protecting New York. And I would sort of love to see how that interacts with this. Uh, That's not a Zadarsky thing, that is just a Marvel thing, but, like, this is just such a a magnum opus experience, and it's it's been fantastic watching Zadarsky work. It's a huge missed opportunity, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially considering with how little Luke is in any of the titles right now. And yeah. what uh, I'm going to get the years wrong, but it's like the, his 50th anniversary this year. He was on the, a variant variant cover for one of the recent Daredevil issues. And that was all that's all they did for his for his anniversary year was a variant cover. That's it. Yeah, I, I feel like def- I definitely agree. He's being underused as mayor. Like I know the only time we've really recently seen him even have any page time is Thunderbolts. Really, I mean, like some here and there, but like that's been his most consistent page time lately. Which is like, whoa, he's got this big thing. Um, I, I gotta say, this Zardsky run of Daredevil has been just like perfection. I love this current run that we're in. Um, I do love how smart he is when he puts a lot of his social commentary into the book. I, I think oh, yeah. this is like much deeper and it's, it's taking a bolder swing than anything I've seen a lot of Marvel comics do in recent years. I love how they're talking about reform in the carceral system and, you know, and they're really taking on big things. Um, that's why to me, like the, issue seven was such a great touching issue and issue eight was really good but it was such a jarring jump between the focus on um you know daredevil and what him and electra are are building and just a a full-out war with the frank castle kind of thing i i I came for the electra in this zarty run and i came out like loving that and i don't know how that happened well, speaking of people loving people, because I love that take. Number one, I also want to say Dark Jedi, representing fan of a uh, nerd hello, hello. right off the bat. And jumping on what you said, Tim, a moment ago about Luke's 50th anniversary. It's also Shang-Chi's 50th anniversary. And we just talked about his title ending. So Marvel's really knocking it out of the park with people of color and anniversaries. <laughs> But uh, now talk to us. You know, I know you are an outspoken, avid Daredevil fan. You know, there's there's certain... A little bit. As a Daredevil person, like, there's certain accounts that I have in my Daredevil list. And, you know, it's you, it's Colgit, it's it, it's it's the people you'd expect. It, it, if, um, I was going to say, if I'm on there, Colgit's got to be because he <laughs> puts me to shame. I Half of my tweets are just retweets of the stuff he's sharing because he's, you know, he already has it. Same. Can't, can't take any credit. Just, just spread the word. 
So talk to us about your experience with, you know, Daredevil in general, about the Darsky run, and where you're at as we start this uh, two-parter. Yeah, so uh, I'll try to keep it as succinct as I can. Uh, I was a latecomer to comics. I was the baseball card kid growing up, so I spent all my dollars and cents and, you know, uh, allowances and whatever on a bunch of cardboard that uh, is completely worthless because it was overprinted. Um, but uh, after college, um, a couple friends uh, got me into kind of poking around comics and stuff. Really, I had, at that point in time, I just kind of picked up some Transformers stuff. But um, but then, oddly enough, and I think you and or Tori may have heard this through various conversations on Twitter, but um, the thing that really kind of piqued my interest in Daredevil was uh, the splendid Ben Affleck movie. Oh, uh, that uh, I went and saw that um, just because something to do. I uh, was actually pretty, pretty uh, intrigued by it. Um, a good friend of mine who was much more into comics uh, at the time suggested, he's like, hey, you know, if you like that, you really ought to just read some, read some comics because they're way better. Uh, and then he, of course, threw me sh straight into Frank Miller, um, which was good. Uh, even better years later when I had read stuff that had come before and I realized just what it was that he did for the character. Uh, but yeah, and then I uh, very quickly realized that, that that movie was not that good. Not that good. It's, it's got about 8,000 nerdy Easter eggs and that's about it. He's a great Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's an yeah. acceptable Batman. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> so, so that's the funny thing. Um, the the very subpar movie is kind of what launched me into that direction, and 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 but it it got me. So here here we are today. Um, I'm Great now. Yeah, I'm I'm now ten single issues away from having collected the entire run. So nice. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of become a thing. I I start at number eighteen. I have it uh, eighteen all the way up, and then I have four. So well, so, so three years ago, like right before the entire world started coming to an end, um, my local comic shop called me up one afternoon and they said, "Hey, we just got a massive trade in, um, and we got some early Daredevils. Is it anything you'd be interested in?" And I said. Yeah, probably. What'd you get? And they're like, oh, we had like one through a hundred and something. And I said, no. Like, the original run? Or are we talking? Are we talking, talking some Kevin Smith nonsense? Because I've got all those already. And they said, no, we're talking 1964. And I said, uh, I'm leaving work early. I'll be over in a bit. And um, anyway, that's where I procured the first 10 or so fortunately before prices went sky high and then i've been piecing everything else together since but Amazing. it's 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 been a thing um but that has nothing to do with the current run which i <laughs> <laughs> uh to get back on topic um i've i've loved this run from the beginning um i was super excited i mean i really enjoyed the run prior to it um the charles soul run uh but i was super excited when um chip Zdarsky was coming on um, I wasn't sure what to expect at the time because most of what I had read of his was kind of, you know, from the, the humorous side of things. Oh, sex criminals. Um, right? Yeah. Right? It's like, hmm, where's this? How's this going to fit? Uh, 
but uh, the big draw for me um, starting this run was Marco Coquetto. Um, uh, I'm I'm a little bit of a fan. I can't I can't my my screen's mirroring. Um, <laughs> I have the same problem. <laughs> the thing is, is, you sit here and you watch people on YouTube. And you're like, I don't understand. How can they get that so wrong? And then you do it. And you're like, I. Oh, it's not even yeah. so, but um but yeah so Kaketo first got on my radar back in the Shadowland days he did some fill-in spots on a few issues and whatever and I really dug his stuff and then he you know teamed up with Rucka on Punisher which was amazing so good um, and then he's just been killing it and getting better and better and better and better every single issue so it's uh yeah I've I've loved it uh I hesitated at first to kind of say oh this is one of the best things ever for Daredevil because there's been so many of them but it is it's gotten there it's one of the best runs ever and ever they they have a a reverence for the characters they've got a reverence for the material that came before specifically in Nocenti, who i i love her run i adore it um it's just it's it's something that more people need to read and hopefully they can now that it's actually collected in the epic collections um but I have been running my mouth far too much. So no. somebody else, somebody else. It's a, it's a, but we have a, a long-standing argument on this show that the only reason they haven't collected Anacenti and Omnibus is uh, misogyny. So um, uh, I would probably agree with that. There is absolutely no reason why her run should not be collected in Omnibus. Daredevil has a dozen of them now. Uh, and she has to this day written the third most issues of Daredevil of all time. Of so all time. How how do you not have that material collected? Yeah, it's that whole it's that old Rachel Pollock Doom Patrol omnibus thing, <sighs> right. which they finally came out with after like canceling it and pushing it back for years. Yeah, and that years. got that got strung out for quite a while, but yeah. <laughs> At least it's at least it's there. So maybe maybe now that they've got maybe. all of her Nascenti's material in the epic collections, and they've got it, you know, retouched up and whatever they do for those collections, maybe we'll see omnibuses at one point in time. I'm okay. I've got my custom binds that I made. Well, speaking That's... of someone who just finished the entire and Nascenti run days ago, Tori uh, Tori Sheehan. <laughs> I understand that you. I understand that you podcast about about Daredevil. Yeah, uh, we do this little thing called the, called the Billy Club, and uh, to go from the fact that I just finished the 1992 Dead Man's Hand to right. her giving me the play-by-play on Dead Man's Hand was like some of my favorite Discord messages of the last four years. So just being like, okay, like I've hit a stopping point. Like, let me let me start reading for this for this recording. And I was just like, oh, I should have listened to Nico a lot sooner and picked this up a lot sooner because like it's so fantastic. <sighs> Uh, I've only read the, so I started off on the Wade because Nico said start there and then you can see if you want to go back to the 60s as a completionist. Yep. I, yep, and, that's uh, a good suggestion. <clears throat> yeah, and so loved it and then uh, ran out of issues on Marvel Unlimited. So started from the beginning and haven't really caught up since 2004, 15, 16 maybe. And so to jump right into this, like, yes, I had questions. Suddenly there are clones. Uh, suddenly Wilson has a son. Who knows? But I 
loved everything about it. I love that we're going deeper on the themes of uh, Matt versus Daredevil, the the guilt of it all. If you remove Matt Murdock from the equation, now we have Electra as a Daredevil to be the other half of these things. And I just think that it's smart. It's beautiful. It's just so much fun and so like exciting everyone just feels more fleshed out than i can possibly remember from where i've been sitting so i've really really been in love with it and just made me it made me want to read more it made me excited to get back on this train and keep pushing forward in my read through like it's just it's just such a joy and i can't wait to see where it goes next well where it's going right now yeah, seriously. <laughs> right now, we're looking at Daredevil number seven and eight, which are two of the most release, uh, most recently released issues, Red Fist Saga Part 7 and 8, from January 11th and February 8th of this year, written by Chip Zdarsky, with pencils by Rafael De La Torre and Marco Cicchetto, with inks by Elisabetta Dimico, and once again, hey Marco, seeing your name again, great, because I do a horrible job on your last name, uh, <laughs> and we've got Colors Matthew Wilson and Eric Arseniega. That one I hit fine. With letters by Clayton Cowles. Thank you, Clayton, for having a very uh, straightforward name. And then we have the trade available July 25th, 2023. And I want to just say, first of all, Kevo has been knocking it out of the park with these slides. There is something so amazing about this variant for number seven that I love. I only wish Bullseye was in the issue or they had replaced Bullseye with Akka, but Ooh. I will I will take what I can get. So, okay. Daredevil versus Punisher. I have been loving the ever-loving life out of the Punisher run as well. So I have been waiting for this and I've been really excited. I love that they are both like HGH'd out of their minds <laughs> and they have all of the powers how do you guys feel about this, you know, so real quick, just to contextualize, Punisher's first introduced in Amazing Spider-Man 129. So Punisher is not like they launched him as Punisher. They launched him as a side thing in Spider-Man, and then he comes over to Daredevil the way so many things upgrade from Spider-Man to Daredevil when it's time. <laughs> and Punisher becomes locked in battle with Daredevil forever, and Garth Ennis man I love far too much uh, with all the wrong opinions on Daredevil uh, did some really great stuff on them. How do you guys feel about the nature of Daredevil versus Punisher and now they are both super powered up? I mean, it's that thing, you know, you need to have these characters that have really obviously similar functions and strategies and beliefs, but then really starkly different uh, beliefs within the same thing so the fact that they both think like I'm just trying to make the streets safer and yeah. you are actually the problem <laughs> is fantastic like that you need that because like a villain is just a villain like Bullseye is not trying to make the streets safer Bullseye is <laughs> just killing people and Daredevil's trying to stop him but he and Frank have these moments that are like God, I wish you weren't such a dick because we could save the world together. And the fact that Frank feels the same way, it's amazing because you really get to spend the time being like, which one do I agree with? And I think the thing about the Punisher 
that is really rough and is tough for comics to really get into, but it's the fact that there are moments where we all feel like the Punisher ourselves. Like, there's a thing where we're like, I just want to kill the person who did, you know, wrong. Like, something was done to me, and I want to stop the person who did it, and I should get to take them out. Uh, but you know, the Home Depot website said that they had this size beam in stock, and they don't. And now I'm going. I should get to take that out. They said you have five. You don't have any. What is going on? Um. Oh, geez. I live in inventory, and that just. (laughs) Well, now you know some some computer daredevil person like me is coming for you but i you know so i think that being the setup for decades is great totally cool um that we are taking it to this whole other level now and that the whole other level actually sort of while it still refers back to that purpose that they both have to make the world safer it's taking them on these drastically different journeys can matt commit to Electra and can the two of them make a life together in which they do better can Frank find salvation for himself by taking his mission to a whole other level and does that mean that he can finally have what he has always wanted this whole time which is his family back these things are totally kind of different from the question of like can we clean up the streets but they refer back to it in a way that is just really exciting to see how they're pushing each other further to the edges of extremity. In my mind, this is what the Civil War comic book arc was about, but it's, <laughs> I'm told it's not. So this is but what it should have been about. It should have been. It should have been. But like, this is the vibe you should get: is yeah. that you're both kind of right, and you're just approaching it from slightly different. You know, there's a six and there's a six on the floor, and one person sees a six, and one person sees a nine, depending on where you're standing. Um, and so for me, it's been really exciting, particularly as someone who hasn't had much reference for Punisher outside of Daredevil um, and the general zeitgeist of the character. Um, it's been really interesting to watch the two of them go back and forth on this. And particularly being so powered up, it takes a lot of their humanness out of it. They can't come at each other with like, well, what if something happened to your loved one? Or what if something happened to your neighborhood? Like they have to be uh, iconography of themselves. It's and styled I think up to that, 11. Yeah. yeah, it's styled up to 11. And it makes me very interested to see, you know, after this all plays out, what happens the next time that they meet? Because you can't. How much higher can you go before you have to strip it so far down that they both have to be at the bottom dregs of themselves to to be able to undo all of that power that's coming at each other? I got to say, I love how even how powered up they were in the fight. The I, I thought that the fight came down to their differences in how they view hum, humanity itself. Um, like when... Punisher has um, Matt on the ground and he's like, you know, I'm avenging your God because that's, you know, the way he's coming at, you know, this fight, like in in using Matt's religion against him as well. And Matt's like, no, wait, no, you know, Matt's like, no, he lets you breathe his air. So like it shows 
the stark difference in these two characters and one of them is is their strength and their faith you know punisher in being an atheist and you know matt and being catholic um and it just shows how they're different how different their worldviews are and i love how matt has that moment at the end of it where he's like you know to remedy that i'm your punisher like i'm your punisher so good yeah i was like I know. I was like, I was like, you can kill him now. I'm good with this. Yes. <laughs> I've I've seen it. I'm good. You could go ahead. Who who knew that that uh, issue eight here was going to come down to Game of Thrones and who who had more dragons? <laughs> dragons came out of nowhere. But it's you know it's kind of like what uh, TK was saying. There the the viewpoints are similar but opposing. So like the daredevil and, and punisher just bounce off of each other so perfectly and how how spoilery can we get for the beginning of this run oh i mean if it's if it's uh, out, it's oh, on yeah. the table okay. yeah. well so because like when the run starts in that first that first arc it's all about you know matt matt you know accidentally kills somebody but punisher misreads that as oh hey you're coming over to my side you're finally taking this seriously Mm-hmm. And so now, now Zdarsky kind of flips it back around. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and it's so good. It's, so, it's good. so good. And meanwhile, we have Electra, who's the one to stop Daredevil on his rampage against Punisher, when she's someone who has always very much been far yeah. closer to Punisher's side of things oh, than absolutely. Daredevil's. And uh, I would say the only weakness that I've seen in this issues in these issues so far, and this is just a general usage. They keep their usage of Electra very tight and yeah. very minimal and very you don't know what's up with her. And I think at this point, unless that's going to pay off more down the road, their king and queen thing needs to have a lot more. I guess bottle issues where they're stuck in a room yelling at each other wow. than what than what we've been getting. Because yeah, there's yeah, Sorry, it's both ahead. of them. Oh yeah, just it's both of them. It's not just Electra or Daredevil. It's mm-hmm. both of them. And so many of the covers are selling us both of them. And this yeah. is a prophecy about both of them. Mm-hmm. So celebrate it. Make it about sharing the space for these two women. Because I'm these two women, these two characters. Because I, I just see, you know, Alexa. Matt, and Matt does not wear the pants around there, so I understand. No, and when you said that, you know, Matt, uh, Matt, that Daredevil, oh my gosh, that Electra and Punisher are closer. I was almost like, yeah, she's been in Punisher. And, yeah. and when I thought about it, I didn't regret the direction of that statement. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, what did, what were you bringing up? I honestly don't even remember now. Um, <laughs> no, it's all right. Uh, no, I'm, I'm spacing. I'm not. I'm not even sure. Well, so my next question becomes: What does this story then represent for us as readers of a narrative where the idea of gods and superheroes are becoming blurred more and more every book? You know, I love Jane Foster and I love this idea that she is a Valkyrie among Valkyries. And like, you know, when, you know, Doom Above Doom literally unfurls pure death at her, she doesn't die. And he's like, what are you? And she's like, I have no idea. 
And that is such a definition of so many of my favorite characters in the Marvel Universe. And just to kind of bring it back to Daredevils for a second, that actually references back to a lot of what I love about Alan Moore's work on, you know, Captain Britain into Miracle Man, Miracle Man into this new age of godhood, what we were talking about with Wanda before. This idea that we're changing the levels of what these characters are, you know, long gone are the days where Matt is only strong enough to launch a car engine using a tire as a rubber band and fly a plane. Long gone are those <laughs> the upper limits of his power. And now we have, of course, you know, hit an era where Matt's power level really is, even strip away like the, the heightened abilities, the things we see what his abilities regularly have become has transformed so much. And the responsibility these characters take on. How do you guys feel about the redefinition of Matt Daredevil as some sort of angel? You know, the Goldie stuff is... I can't wait to unpack that when we get something about what on earth that was. <laughs> but how do you guys feel about Matt taking on the idea of an avenging angel? You know, I make a lot of jokes that Ghost Rider by Percy is very close to a preacher book. But this is in many ways very close to a Vertigo book. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense when you have explored so much of who this character is and you've explored his values. And the one thing that you kind of have left is his religion. But you're not going to do like a like, what's his church life like? <laughs> you know, that's, we don't is he a that. Kirk Franklin at New Nation or is he a Kirk Franklin in the family guy? <laughs> so then it's really bigger existential questions. If you are a Catholic man who that is precious to you which it clearly is for him what does that mean when the existential questions are at your doorstep and they're really inside you um i think that really is one of few places that has been unexplored for this character and so there's obviously power creep happening and there's obviously upping the stakes and those are things that we expect in the medium and that's okay but finding a way to do it that makes me just feel fine reading on and not going like oh but why does it have to be like this that's really impressive and especially when it can lead to so much interesting storytelling um so you know really making matt's existential questions become maybe his own answers has been fascinating i i think matt murdoch has been living his own version of the higher the hair the closer to god i think like the higher the power <laughs> level like the closer to his humanity he is grasping to i i think he's always been a very human-based character but i i think now that his power levels are amped up like he is really clinging and holding on to the humanity that he always had and it i think it's shining through more and it's letting him him heal is, is a character through all that he's been through a little bit more than i've seen it in the past oh i disagree <laughs> deeply Good. i think this is very much a, a treatise on the old testament versus new mm. testament kind oh, of yeah. god that uh, a lot of catholicism and christianity is as a whole kind of struggle with the idea that. that you have someone who can bring floods and planes plagues and all of this stuff and damnation and all of these things and then you have the forgiveness aspect the the forever forgiveness you're always forgive god forgives and what is it to 
walk around in God's in God's work? Do you do you smite the wicked or do you forgive the wicked? And mm. I think that's being seen in how they approach a lot of this prison stuff. I think it's um I, I think it's it's very much at the heart of what Matt is struggling with right now. But I don't think that the powering up is bringing him closer to his humanity. I think the powering up is actually alienating him from his humanity. He's stopping. He's no longer thinking of humanity as little dots all all in a community, but as a whole that he knows how to protect and bubble up. So I think that he's losing that individualness that makes him such a great street hero. And it's instead operating him into more of a cosmic hero. A letter from Victoria to the theologians. <laughs> Basically, I mean, they're, they're quoting chapter and verse in here. Like, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Tim, how do you feel about seeing Daredevil, the street levelist, street level boy, all of a sudden playing playing some kind of god it's uh it's a little bit crazy but i you know it's it's kind of at the same time the way i've i've been i've just been going with it I'm like it's the nature of comics somebody's going to come up with this crazy idea right and for me it's always all about like how it's about the the way that they they actually tell the story and go about it um cuz you know what's going to happen is here in another I don't know, 12, 15, 20 issues. I don't know how long this run's going to go. It's all going to go back to the way it was. It's just, it's the, it's the nature of comics. And Steve what Orlando going to write it. <laughs> I, I can't wait It'll be to snarky. see. It'll be wait. really snarky. Darcy will come over. <laughs> I can't wait to see how they reverse Matt Murdock is dead. I can't wait. <laughs> I mean, so, but it's funny that you, you say the the reversing Matt Murdock is dead. I mean, we got how how long ago was it? You know, Mike Murdock was a thing, and then Mike Murdock was dead, and then Charles Soule found this way to like make him an actual thing that fit within the story, and now Zadarsky's taken that and run with it and done what he's done, and 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 it's just it's unbelievable, but. As far as the, the powering up goes, I feel like it's just kind of a natural escalation of where the story's been going. Um, and I actually, I thought of what I was going to chime in on a few minutes ago when, when Tori made her comment about uh, needing and wanting more of the Matt and Electra. Uh, yeah. Uh, so where I was going to go with that was we've gotten a couple bits and pieces of it, you know, it, but in this, in the last few issues, uh, it's mostly been, um, along with stick, which I mean, you know, you throw him at, you throw him into the mix too, and you're going to get, there's some fun stuff to play with there. But the, what I was thinking of what Tori was mentioning was there's been one or two times where, you know, there's been kind of like short, um, but pointed jabs like King queen, Husband. And yeah, husband. <laughs> but, like, you know, it's like eh, I, there's there's I think a little bit more tension there than we're really seeing. But um, the thing that I've I've really liked about about the last few issues has been Matt's struggle with this whole 
prophecy thing, especially like you were saying, Nico, with the whole all the Goldie stuff, which is still very much up in the air. We really don't know what he is. We know that he went to Columbia with them. We know that he's been in their lives for unbeknownst to the reader for years and Ever. years and years. But like, you know, is he actually doing anything? Is he actually acting, you know? On, on behalf of, of God, and of course, this is totally messing with Matt's head because he's, you know, full-on Catholic guilt boy. So it's uh, it's been very intriguing. It really has been because the thing that I am left with as we sort of approach our final thoughts with this, with this um, time, which, number one, I just want to make the announcement that I need to make that uh, this, this gorgeous creature down here, I can't point at her, right? And I are uh, are getting ready to dust back off those horns, and uh, we're bringing back Billy Club for season two with a, a slightly different approach, where we're going to be taking a look at Daredevil by the years, giving you all the best of each year of Daredevil, making it a lot easier to jump in, taking a look at the happenings, the who's, the what's, and even some pretty cool uh, regular occurrences, like was there a Spider-Man appearance? <laughs> Whose book was it in? And it, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to come back with that. But uh, so tons of opportunities for everybody here to talk as much Daredevil as their hearts content. But the for, the big thing for me, when I think about Daredevil, I think I'm defined as a guy who I guess was raised Catholic and I guess grew up ill and, you know, has like, you know, health conditions and whatever. I, I often feel like I am defined by the fact that the first comic book my father ever put in my hand was Daredevil, the man without fear one through five by Miller and JRJR. And I realized that you could feel less than, but always be more than. And I've like defined so much of my life by like the strength I get from imagining myself being Matt Murdock running the rooftops playing Tori Amos in in my Walkman and like just that that beautiful intersection the thing that I find the most powerful is no matter how much I feel Matt has lost who he is I don't feel that I have lost that boy running on the rooftops this is Jean Grey becoming the phoenix this is so many heroes becoming more than this is such a weird reference. And I know Kevin Kevy is going to roll his eyes at me, but uh, this is the lights from Northern exposure. This is the season five storyline. Um, it's just, this is so much what I've always dreamt of for this character. So even if this ends tragically, I'm excited. I, uh, I, I want the, I want the tragedy. So tell me guys, how do you feel <laughs> it probably I, will end tragically because that's just the way daredevil is and going back to what was it issue 25 when electra kind of took the mantle of daredevil like even as far back as that they've made allusions to this whole king and queen of the fist and you know one of them at least one of them's not gonna get out alive so how do you feel about this era? Do you feel that this is still preserving the core identity of Matt and Daredevil? Or do you feel this is a bold new time? And tell everybody where they can find you on the internet, because uh, we're about to wrap this bad boy up, and I would love everybody to be able to keep hearing the amazing opinions that brought me to you in the first place. Well, uh, I'm going to totally cop out, and I'm going to say it's a little bit of both. 
it's taken everything that's come before and they've done an amazing job of kind of building on top of that and to where we're at now where you know matt and electra are running around and uh i don't even know where they're at some some mysterious island somewhere fighting the punisher with a freaking hand dragon um it's 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 ridiculous if you if you had told me back when this run started that we would get Marco Coquetto drawing symbiote dragons and then ninja dragons. <laughs> um, I would have thought you were absolutely batshit crazy. So uh, it's it's been amazing. Um, I've loved every second of it. Uh, I'm totally biased, though. You, you know I'm in from now till whenever the book, just probably when I die, because it's going to be going forever. Um, the title, uh, not necessarily this run. But um, I love it. Um, been on from the beginning will be there through the end um, thoroughly enjoy uh, your all's coverage and thank you for having me um, but yeah if uh, you want to follow me on twitter or instagram it's at nerd in the nook well we can't wait to have you back man and it was a pleasure to have you on and please feel free to jump on here jump on Billy club and wherever you want to spread that good hornhead news and speaking of that good hornhead news uh, excuse me, a woman without fear. Uh, excuse me, uh, woman without fear. Tell me now that you read like seventy-eight issues of Daredevil in seventy-two hours yeah. uh, to catch up for this. Your brains, talk to me. Is this your Daredevil? I think that. I mean, my devil is happy, Matt, and we haven't seen a whole lot of that. But um, I definitely think that this is still my Daredevil. I think that this is. Uh, definitely the elector that I've always wanted and I'm very interested to see what happens to them are have we placed I love happy Matt um have we placed bets on if we on who we think if one of them doesn't make it through who we think it's gonna be have we done that Matt 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 gotta not make it through yeah and no, i think Matt's, it'll just not making it <laughs> and it should just stay electra's book for a minute it, it, yeah yeah that's, that's what i mean gonna happen. He'll, he'll come back right no but. yeah i mean we placed a nornstone on on top of of mike murdoch like he's obviously gonna come back into that body inside of right. the because comics hell no duh yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah i think it's i think it's matt that dies to fulfill oh 100 the there's no way it's not yeah she's died too often he, we got he's got to take one for the team and then and plus gonna, she has to live without him she has to figure out who, he has to know. live without oh. him he has to become king of hell because you got to have a devil in hell etc etc now you're like, nailing everything that is definitely going to happen oh yeah 100%. oh my god it's so gonna happen i i I'd have to go back and double check because it's been a little while since I read that issue. But I do think that back in that issue 25, they specifically said that the king was the one that was going to bite it. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I, th- I, think I they know were for a fact they, they alluded that one of them won't make it out. Yeah. But I they think did. that you might have even said it well, was okay. I think that Akka was or that she was um, insinuating it to get under Electra's skin. Personally, I think that any time we heard one or the other, it was to get under people's skin. Um, so I'm hedging my bets, but uh, I've, I'm I'm in this. I'm so in this. I'm I'm in this like I'm in on Demon Days. Like this is this is my this is it. This is it for me. Sorry, 
And where can everybody find you? This is it, Demon Days Lady. Find me on uh, Instagram at SMTori and on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheen. That's Tori with an I. And on the Billy Club pod with my buddy Nico and Kevo, where we make the uh, swinging red guy magic happen. Well, speaking of magic, guys, uh, these two phenomenal gents who have been here all episode. What do you guys think? Is this your daredevil? Is this a journey you're on? Nathan, I'll let you go first. Um, this is my daredevil because this has started a journey for me because it's the first time I've really I've I never fell into the daredevil circle. So this is the first time I've really started to notice and connect with the character. So I, I got the Miller omnibus. Uh, now I'm gonna go through and dig in and read it, and then I'm gonna go through and probably go through and read everything from the beginning just to see Man, the you've evolution. Got so much good <laughs> material to read. And yeah, and a lot so of much. other material too. And a lot of <laughs> also true, very very true. I, I uh, uh, Steve told me about the San Francisco era, so like I I really okay. I wanna I wanna read that and like know that it's fun but trash at the same. Wait time, for the nineties. Wait for okay. the nineties. Oh yeah. okay. I actually love the Black Widow San yeah. Francisco era. Yeah, I think the it's San Francisco's so fine yeah. for this it's, time. For it's time. Got my favorite, Mister Fear. This is a weird journey for me starting to notice and fall in love with Elektra and Mutant X of all comics. So, like, um, you know, like, it's been a wild journey to get here. So, yeah, loving it. Like, I'm here for it. This is this is definitely the version of Matt that has really been able to uh, stick with me as a character that I'm really digging and not just as Elektra's love interest. And I believe one more time, you've got a new project coming out, uh, a bit of a Star Trek podcast. as it uh, Yeah, it's, it's very early stages, so it'll be coming out sometime soon. So uh, Steve and I are going to do uh, Trek Static. It's going to be Star Trek based. We are still working on launch times and everything like that, but it will be coming soon and can't wait to share it with you guys. Uh, and we're going to be bringing all of the news about that every step of the way. We can't wait. And until then, TK, I believe you've got to tell us your thoughts on Daredevil. Uh, at this point, I'm just waiting to see if Zadarsky is going to find a really fun way to bring Wilson and Mary in to participate in all of this. Uh, and I think he's going to, and that's what I'm waiting for. So Anything uh, for Mary? I just, anything for Mary. I will keep reading just to make sure that Mary shows up. Uh, yes, and please. if you want to follow that journey with me, uh, it's X Nate X Gray X on basically any social media platform. This has been a dream come true of an episode. I have loved every uh, swinging minute with you all. And until we come back, as always, please remember to like, subscribe, check us out at X's for Show everywhere online, X'sForShow.com, as well as X's for Show on Twitter, YouTube, and more. And, uh, yeah, okay. Keep those Newton lights lit, those Kirkcoan gateways open. Remember, it is not Daredevil unless there's two of them, they're married, and they're out to kill somebody. Or each other. Or each other. <laughs> and until then, thank you guys so much for the last two and a half hours. We'll see you. <laughs>